0: We're brought to you today by On. I am a total gearhead. I love researching the latest technology for the sports I enjoy. And I've learned that people often overlook apparel. But what you wear isn't just clothes. It is, without a doubt, technology. Technology that can make or break To get you moving, On is offering an exclusive 10% discount. To redeem, head over to on.com slash richroll and use code richroll10 at checkout. We're brought to you today by a very exciting brand new sponsor, Go Brewing. I am sober. I don't drink. And I devoted That's gobrewing.com and use the code RICHROLL for 15% off your first purchase. We're brought to you today by Birch. If you're serious about optimizing your sleep, listen up. I've spent countless hours researching and testing various methods to improve my nightly shut eye, and I can confidently say that it all starts with a good foundation. And if your bed is old, if it's uncomfortable, lumpy, then your sleep, with Birch. All right. It's time to take roll call. And we are back. We are ready to take roll call, Adam.
1: Let's do it, man. How are you
0: feeling? I feel good. I feel good. It's uh, I love a ho- short holiday week. That's what we're looking at right yeah. now. Yeah, yeah. So this is Yet another edition of Roll On, where mm. me and my hype man bestie, Adam Skolnick, break down matters pertinent, matters current. We take listener questions. Mm. We talk about what's top of mind. And before we launch into it, if you're interested in having your question... Discussed on the podcast, you can leave us a voicemail at 424-235-4626. As always, we launch this thing off with a little fitness check-in. Yes. How are you doing as the father of a newborn?
1: I'm doing well. Uh- and, you know, April, my wife has been rocking it back into form too. So it's like, it's become like the the thing that we do for fun. I mean, mm-hmm. really it's the pandemic. So the thing that we do to blow off steam is, is to exercise. Right. And um, it's been good. You know, I sprained my ankle two weeks ago, so I'm just coming back out of that, but I was able to run after a week and um, just a little bit by little bit, but I've started working with Nicolas Ramirez, the French, uh, he lives in Sweden, but the French swim runner who won Catalina with his partner.
0: Catalina Otillo. Yeah, he's the head Champion. of
1: Team Envil, which right. is like this dominant team in, Super in swim run. And he kind of has these things where you can join in remotely and do his workouts and he prescribes workouts for you. That's cool. So I did my first one this morning. It's It was like a zone one to three, Mm-hmm. Um, included this skipping and running, kind of minute skipping, a minute running at zone three.
0: For like technique? To or get my technique down.
1: Interesting. In the sand or where did you help. do that? I did it, no, I just did it in the, in the like the, the problem is where I live. In your You're suit? either going a little uphill or a little downhill. Uh-huh. Uh, no, I did it in my uh, really sexy running shorts. The shorter, the better.
0: That's cool. I'm so yeah. glad that you have a coach. Can I know. I, can I credit this to our conversation about me telling you that you needed a little guidance? Hundred <laughs> percent.
1: Yeah, a little that's guidance. Awesome. I've got like the the guy, the best guy now in my ear. So that's very cool. Um, You're going
0: to be a ringer come November when uh, Otillo returns to Catalina.
1: Uh, yes, but you know the problem is is you have that one year. I'm not really used. Well, November, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not used to like using my Garmin for anything other than like a dive watch and like, you know, recording really Mm -hmm. basic stuff. So this morning I I hit run thinking I have to remember all the different, you know, minute this and 10 minutes, five minutes but the workout was already programmed into it. Uh And then I still fucked it up. Like I didn't know how to work it. And like (laughs) (laughs) I screwed up like when I hit the the lap button and all that. That's cool. So it syncs with
0: Training Peaks, he uploads the workouts to Training Peaks and then it just automatically feeds to your watch and prompts you.
1: That's right. That's cool. It's very cool. I dig it, man. I've got the Garmin for people who care, the Garmin Descent. Which, because it's got a free dive, free diving and scuba diving application.
0: I'm rocking the Garmin. I think it's the three ten. No, the four. The four is it called the Forerunner? Is it? What is it called? I don't know. I should know. Should Mine's I ancient. My point is that it's a super old one. Exactly. Definitely. Well, you don't need you know, coaching. Like a, you're like I do need fu- coaching. You're fully baked. No, no, no. I'm a I little. Need, I'm a little duckling. I need a tremendous amount of coaching, especially when it comes to swim run. And I fully intend on competing in that uh, Otillo Catalina next full,
1: the full distance. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. My Why goal not? is like in a year to do a full distance one. Yeah, you should. But um, I would like to also do the 15 mm-hmm. mile, 15 K one first. Yeah. Something like that, yeah. Yeah,
0: you should. Oh, yeah. Um, it's exciting to see this sport grow. My buddy, yeah. uh, Garrett Weber Gale, who was a very early guest on the podcast way back in the day, Olympic gold medalist um, back in the Phelps era, um, is now getting into swim run. He did one recently in Austin. He was all fired up. Back in the Phelps era? Yeah. That just ended. Well, yeah, we're old Early Phelps. We're old. If you're young, that was a bygone era. <laughs> Wait, no, but he well, was, Phelps in the was last Olympics. He was Yeah, but this <laughs> I think he 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 competed uh in the Olympics, I think was it London? Yeah. I can't remember. 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I think so. Oh, so your boy it well, that was Wait, what? No, that was Garrett, 12, right? No, Garrett
0: no, Garrett was swimming in 12. 12, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. pretty oh. sure. Hopefully I'm not wrong That's crazy. That. That's crazy anyway, how
1: long Phelps has been dominant, I know. Dominant. I know.
0: When you speak of the era, you have to talk about which part of the era, I guess. Exactly. Um, but on a personal level, I'm back slowly working my way Good. into doing some, some running and some cycling. As I've spoken about at length in the past, I've been dealing with some back issues and um, that's sidelined me and then I went into the gym and, Started developing my strength, which was very productive, and I enjoyed and continue to, or you know, will continue to engage with. But uh, I started working with this body worker guy called Lawrence Van Lingen, who's okay. been uh, a godsend. He's this South African miracle worker, and really? he's been working on my back. Yeah, he's down in Laguna. Um, okay.
1: So you had to make the haul.
0: But he, well, he, I, I was introduced to him through Chris Health, uh, who uh, works with him. As well as Emily, his wife, and uh, in just a couple sessions, he's really made some great strains. Fantastic! And has been a guiding force. So I feel like I—it's not that it is completely resolved, but I feel like I have a path. And he gave me some certain gentle exercises to work on, and I'm intending on seeing him pretty consistently. So so no weights. That for feels now. good. Uh, no, I've kind of backed off that a little bit and getting back into some endurance stuff and just trying to lay a base. And if I look at next November as you know an interesting race to get involved with. That gives me something to put my sights on. Yeah. I I saw you were in the pool as well, right? Yeah mm, back on a the little pool. bit. Yeah, yeah, there's a pool actually near where we're recording that uh uh is it's a big complex and you can book lanes online and okay. it sells out pretty quickly. So oh, you gotta really? do it kind of in advance. So I actually booked all these times throughout the week. And then of course my schedule didn't align with right. that. And so it was like $4, you know, for an hour. <laughs> so a lot of that money went by the wayside. Yeah, um, But I figure, you know, best to got try to in get the, or something. bank those in. No, so I've been hitting that pool a little bit. I mean, I'm far from being conditioned right now, but it feels good to start getting back into contact with it. So that feels good. And I
1: like seeing those Instagram stories where you just flop your you know, you're you're away and you're in paddles. Yeah, and, I know. Yeah, people love that. That's my thing. It's a cool thing. Yeah, keep people doing. Are it. Like, what
0: are those? It's things? comforting. What are those paddle things? Yeah. You know, what's interesting uh, is that mm. I'm I'm listening to Bonnie Choi's book Why We Swim right now. Yes, who was introduced to me through you, and she's coming on the podcast next week. Very exciting. Um, it's a great book, and she has this you know beautiful way of putting an anthropological lens onto like the human relationship with swimming. Mm-hmm. Um, and Kim Chambers plays a big part in the book. She does. Uh, and she explores all aspects of, you know, our relationship to the water through cold and hot and long distance and open water, et cetera. Um, the but, shipwrecked
1: guy in Ireland. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Cool. The guy Iceland. in Iceland. Iceland yeah, he yeah. swam
0: to shore and became yep. this national hero. But one of the things that I found really fascinating is that Benjamin Franklin is credited with inventing the hand paddles for swimming. (laughs) That's right. Right? Yeah. So when I drop those paddles down on the deck, you know, as I do on Instagram from time to time, plenty of people are like, what are those things? Like people who don't swim don't know what they are. They're like hand paddles. And now I know. That they are the invention of Benjamin Franklin,
1: noted nudist. Yeah, be careful. <laughs> I know. He's been
0: canceled. He was a bait. You're going to get too. in trouble for
1: aping Ben Franklin because mm. he's been can- what is it? No, he's not canceled. Is he? Bad this bad just in. Retro- I can't ben keep, Franklin. Keep, I can't keep not track of Everybody that's been canceled. <laughs> anyway, but I like that. I liked uh, her not to uh, get do- too deep into it because you're going to have a whole episode with her. But you know uh, what was cool as someone who I've known her. Uh, for years, although only in person a couple of times, but uh, but have kept in touch. Um, seeing her family story and how mm-hmm. that was related to swimming right. was really cool.
0: How her parents met? Yeah, in the in a pool. He, yeah, her dad was a lifeguard
2: That's in right. Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, yeah.
1: All right. So that was really cool to yeah. see. Interesting. Yeah, um, I uh, I met her in Tahiti, and we dove together. Uh, years ago, on like a press thing when when we both were still doing those the, press trips, the don't free do those diving anymore.
0: a free diving dive. No, it's just, just
1: a scuba dive. Uh-huh. And at the time, I was pretty new to scuba diving, and I was like an air pig, just sucking my bottle. And uh-huh. uh, this was like in 2005 or four or something like that. And uh, 2005, I think. And you know, she's like, she's been. A great swimmer for her whole life, so mm. you know she's effortlessly staying down there for like an hour, and I come up like at like thirty-eight minutes, thinking mm. I've just like I gotta, I gotta quit this sport because I'm so bad at it. It's like not worth it,
0: Um, you know. <laughs> yeah, like but you're ev- talking about somebody who had, who had like swimming vernacular woven into yeah. her wedding vows. Of course, like this of is course. how much yeah. a part of her, uh, uh, her life this is. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And then. um but then, you know, obviously I I, I I got good at it, but it takes a while sometimes for some of us with scuba diving, you can, you can suck down the air really quick, mm-hmm. especially if you're too stressed underwater or your body position is wrong. There's lots of things to it. Um, and so, but I remember at that time, I coming up from the dive thinking that was great. I wish I could have stayed down twice as long. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about relaxation, Adam. It is, man. Yeah. It is. But anyway, that was my, that was when I met her and uh, excited about her book. It's got top, 100 books for Time Magazine. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Very cool. Very
0: cool, like that's no small thing, Yeah, you know? So I'm looking forward to talking to her. Uh, Meanwhile, on the subject of books, thank you to everybody who has ordered Voicing Change. It's been a pleasure to sign so many of them. What's been interesting about doing it ourselves, being in charge of fulfillment as a self-published book is you're really um, closely connected to the audience. And when we made it available, we thought, well, well, we'll offer it to people who just wanna buy it. But if people wanna sign copy, you know, we'll add that as like a bonus little extra thinking that maybe, I don't know, 10% of people would wanna sign copy. Mm. But it turns out like 90% or 85% awesome. or something like that wanna sign copy, yeah. which is amazing, but also means that I have to spend hours and hours and hours signing these things every <laughs> week. Which is great, and hours, I'm happy and hours to do hours. it. That's a good Listen, thing. Listen, this is what we call call a quality problem. A quality problem. Adam. I'm happy to do it. So, thank you to everybody who's ordered the book. Um, it's been really cool to see people sharing it on social media, hmm. and uh, and just you know, really um, gratified by that whole thing. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, we are moving forward on the new studio. I shared a couple behind the scenes pictures of of the build out. It's coming along. I think we're going to be up and running in there. Probably conservatively in three or four weeks. Oh, nice. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So, three or four weeks. Well, we're just waiting on the cert of occupancy so we can start really moving in all yeah. the furniture. Um, and that's a bureaucratic, you know, okay. regulatory thing that we're working with the developer on. But we're pretty close to getting that. Once we get that, then we can go in. We can hang the lighting rack and, you know, get everything configured. It won't be completely done, but I think we'll be able to get up on our feet and start recording episodes in there pretty Fantastic. soon. Fantastic! Which is super exciting. Um, it's really cool. I man.
1: can't wait to like just be a uh, squatter. That well, just we shows have up and just writes and, and like you're like wait wait
0: we got a bunch <laughs> we got a bunch of furniture courtesy of Fully who's been a great oh. podcast sponsor over the years. They make this wonderful line of ergonomic, movement oriented furniture. So we got oh, a bunch cool. of standing desks and um, some stools and etc. So I think we we have like five or six desks in there. We're right. going to be able to move the whole team over there so we can all work together. But we have a specific desk that we're temporarily calling the the DK. Oh, <laughs> the DK,
1: okay. for When he,
0: when he wa- pops in, but I think, you know, that can be a battle between you and DK <laughs> to come in and work whenever you whenever you like. When we need to. And what's exciting about it is that it's gonna be able to provide efficiencies in the workflow. So eventually I think we're gonna work out systems where perhaps we can create additional content. Maybe we can move from six episodes to eight episodes a month, we'll see how that goes. And potentially start working on some new stuff, right? Yes, which is a longer conversation. Maybe we, we'll let's not even later. talk about that. No, yet, let's just but, tease it now. But you know, tease it now. You know, I think about that every day. I know. Yeah, <laughs> that is in the plan, and uh, to have like an HQ, It'd be amazing. Is really, gonna I'm be something I'm so special. stoked.
1: I'm stoked for you because it's such a great progression for what you're built. You've built and like. And I'm I'm stoked for the listeners. It's you know, to to be a part of the show, you fully appreciate. I mean, to have, you know, hung out with you and, and swam or grabbed a bite in Malibu, you 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 know, you see how people engage mm-hmm. with you and, and what you bring. Um, but to actually be a part of the show and to see how much it means to people, it's very inspiring. So to be able to to then take this next step and this next you know, create an even bigger platform foundation for something bigger. I think uh, I think it's gonna be very
0: powerful. It's exciting. Yeah. And it's great to have you as a value add to the equation, yeah. guys, man. Uh, and in reflecting back on it, it seems crazy because when it started, it was really just a harebrained like, hey, let's just try a podcast. You know, there was no plan on a farm or in Kauai. or aspiration <laughs> that, yeah, that it would become what it, has become, let alone, you know, any kind of vocation or anything like that, or something that could lead to, you know, a 2000 square foot warehouse space where we can really operate at the highest level of production quality. So, you know, I think it the, the, the lesson in that is that, you know, you follow your curiosity mm-hmm. and you double down on it and you show up for it consistently. And when you do that and you're coming from a pure place, I really think that that is fertile ground for, you know, un, unpredictable magic to occur.
1: That's really well said. Do you think something about just having the detail-oriented eye of also someone who wrote a book but also was a, uh, an athlete your whole life and then study the law, like detail in the law is very important. Like just having a detailed focused nature enabled you to to get to a, a place of excellence where you were really caring about each each episode versus just kind of mailing it in and you know, like seeing what happens. You mean being a control freak? <laughs> I don't see you that yeah. way. <laughs> um, <laughs> but like having that kind of, that mental training is bi- built into the way you are.
0: I think so. I think, you know, from a very early stage in the whole thing, like I cared about, the small stuff, maybe Mm -hmm. more than I should have. And certainly probably more than many others who kind of were operating in the space. And I think by paying attention to those details, we were able to kind of set ourselves aside from um, others who were, you know, kind of doing something similar. And I think it's just a reflection of of caring deeply Mm -hmm. about the show, Mm -hmm. but as it grows and matures, it's been, a challenge for me to let go of some of those aspects. Like at the very beginning, I was editing the show myself in GarageBand. Right. I did every, there was there was no aspect of the show that wasn't me because I was the only one doing it. And the good part about that is that I learned every facet of it. The bad part is that as we try to scale up, I have to let go of those things and empower other people to do them. And my instinct, it, it runs counter to my instinct, which is to get you know involved in all of this mm. stuff. Um, and ultimately, you know what i 've learned is that it all operates a lot better when I let go of a lot of that stuff yeah. and focus on the one thing that is the most important thing, which is trying to have the best conversations but that 's a that 's a process for me right um, and it means that when you are letting other people do stuff like they 're going to do things that might not be the way that you would do them, and that that 's perfectly fine too.
1: Mm-hmm. So Well, you got so many talented people involved too. Yeah, like there's like Blake right Mr. over Blake. there smiling. Laughing. Um, while we're on the subject of the podcast, I'll just ask you one more question. I know that listeners might be curious how you choose your guests. How does that mm. process work for you?
0: There is no system to that whatsoever. It's really a gut thing. It's intuition, it's a feel. Um, I have like a you know an open note like you know the little note app on your phone or on your desktop yep and when i come across an article or or you know read something about somebody interesting like i'll make a note and think maybe that person's you know compelling maybe i want to talk to that person and then at some point i'll dig a little bit deeper and decide so at any given moment there's a lot of burners operating like i'm i have feelers out to lots of people sometimes it takes a very long time to get somebody on the show Uh, And then the order in which you release the episodes is very important Hmm. to kind of keep it differentiated and dynamic by not having too much of one subject matter in a row. But it's really a feel thing. And I've made mistakes over the years, and I've talked about this before, but I've made mistakes where a lot of people are saying, oh, you gotta have this person. They're great. You know, they're awesome. You do it, you know? And and I'm like, yeah, maybe, I don't know. I'm not really feeling it, but because everybody seems to think this person's amazing, I'll do it. Right. And then the episode ends up being a little bit flat and that's not to cast any aspersion on the guest. It's because if I'm not personally, you know, emotionally heavily Mm -hmm. invested in this person's life, then I'm not the best host for that conversation. Interesting. So I've really learned to just trust my gut and yeah. to follow you know, what inspires me. And the only rule is like, I'm curious about this person. And I've had to balance that as the show grows against the number of pitches that I'm now on. The, I mean, it used right. to be in the beginning, it's like I'm cajoling and begging to, get anybody to come on the show, right. right? And I felt so grateful that anybody would donate their time to come on. <laughs> right. Now I get you know 10 to 20 pitch emails from publicists every day with this person who right. wrote this book and that person who wrote that book. And it's really difficult to kind of navigate all of that. And it, so it's not about getting people to come on the show, it's about getting the right people to come right. on. And I pitched you Bonnie. You did, right? Yeah. And that that didn't take immediate that's a no, perfect example. I, t- I, I think I pitched you. It's like, few okay, times. here she wrote a book about swimming. Yeah. That's cool. But right. like, is this I don't know, you know? Right, right. I had right. to like sit with it for a while. Yeah, yeah. And then I saw, oh, her book made the time list. Yeah. Like, that's interesting. And then I dug a little bit deeper and I was like, Oh, this is actually hitting it's the bullseye yeah. of everything that I care about. Yeah. yeah and yeah. she's written this amazing book about, you know. Perhaps the one thing that I care about more than anything that I've ever experienced in my life, which is my relationship to swimming. Yeah. So how could I not have her on? Right. But, you know, it didn't. It didn't immediately connect. Like yeah. it took time. So yeah, that's a good example.
1: It's the perfect time. Sometimes a little later is the perfect timing. Mm. You know, timing is everything. Yeah,
0: and I just, you know, another example would be. Laird Hamilton, who just came by last week, that episode is going up, I don't know, sometime soon. Can't wait for that. And that's somebody who I've wanted to have on the show for a very long time. Um, His wife, Gabby, was one of the very first guests on the show, Um, but I think it's perfect that he came on now and not two or three years ago, because I'm a different person than I was then. And I think I'm better suited to have the kind of conversation that I wanted to have with him now versus then. So these things all have their own timing and i've also learned to trust that timing like getting out of the business of trying to force a guest or an, a certain episode to happen and just being in the allowing like oh yeah. it's not right right now it'll come around if it's supposed to but that's not you know? easy and so allowing. i don't so i don't press too hard right. like i i put feelers out like i'm always fishing and yeah. you know i'm in various stages of email communication around scheduling but I don't get in there and try to compel anybody to come on because another thing I've learned is that I only wanna have conversations with people who actually wanna be here. Right. And when you cajole somebody to be here, when maybe they're like, what am I doing? Like, who's this guy? Like, why am I doing this? That's not gonna make for a great experience for the listener. Right.
1: But it's not easy to do the at first with the allowing, then you get used mm-hmm. to it. But like at first for me, especially you're saying control tendencies to allow, I've had that problem with reporting stories where I really want a source, I really want a source. Now I'm much more relaxed about it. And well, you're
0: also dealing with a deadline,
1: right? I'm dealing with the deadline. I'm dealing with, you know, also just doing the story justice, which requires for me talking to multiple people mm-hmm. so I can get different angles. Um, and sometimes those requests don't get answered right away. But um, nothing helps. You're allowing, like having a, a new baby in the house. You're like, you know what? <laughs> Who gives a fuck? <laughs> <laughs> I've got right. to change a diaper. Yeah, puts things into perspective. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. And <laughs> all I can tell you is that it's good life advice in general. Yeah, like you don't want you you, you need to push for what you want, mm. but there's a point at which that starts to venture into terrain that's going to produce the opposite of the result that you seek. No doubt. And there is an art to the surrender or the letting go and the allowing to provide the space that some of these things require in order to manifest in a certain way. Mm. And that's something that I've kind of feel like I've honed over the years. Ask Bonnie about the fallow period. I will. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but, she, but she, yeah, I'll make a note. Yeah, make a note. Um, cool. All right. Well, before we we, we dig into the, the subjects of the day that we're gonna talk about today, I think it's worth spending a few minutes um, or a minute or two uh, just reflecting on the last episode that we did together, which is perhaps the most politically, overtly political podcast that we've ever done. Yeah. Um, And I stand by it and I'm proud of that conversation that we had. And I feel strongly about the opinions that I expressed. And that episode was met with, a predominantly positive reaction, but it was not without its detractors either. Mm. And we were on the receiving end of a lot of feedback, tons of emails, like I said, mostly well-received, but there was more than a few who vigorously disagreed with Mm. my politics, your politics. And I just wanna tell all of you, if you're listening, if you were one of those people and you've decided to still tune in, that um, I appreciate that, like I acknowledge the disagreement and the fact that we may not or don't see completely eye to eye. Uh, but that's what these conversations are about. And I, and, I, and I credit those people who took the time to write messages, some of which were quite lengthy yes. and well thought out. I think that that's to be lauded. Like if you feel differently and you take the time to sit down and explain why you disagree, how can I not do anything but, but welcome that. So sure. I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Yeah. Th- and thank you. I 100% agree. I, 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 <laughs> I stand behind everything I said. Yeah. Um, but I will say, you know, sometimes I think uh, some people are put off by a tone that I might express my opinion in
0: mm-hmm. when I
1: feel strongly about something. And all I can say is what I feel most strongly about is uh, y- unifying. Mm-hmm. And coming together in a way and building a better country and a better world. Um, so that's all. That's all it's coming from. Just that place only. It's not ever an elitist place. It's not ever uh, looking down on anybody. Sometimes we joke about like getting news from YouTube or whatever because mm-hmm. it it does seem ridiculous to me. Since I make my living as a reporter and I know how that stuff is made and I know it's made by caring people who care. You know who who are really competent. So. So that probably is where that comes from, but I'm trying to. It's Uh it's fun. It's I'm trying to have fun at the same time. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, and it. it,
0: it, I think you know. I think for the most part, people understand that. Yeah. Um. But the unifying thing is important. So, uh, I applaud you if you disagree with me and you're still tuning in and listening to this. And I hope that you continue to, to plod this journey with both of us. Come come aboard. We might piss you off every once in a while. (laughs) I hope not too much. (laughs) No, but just every once in a while. And like I said, and I said this last time, like I don't court controversy. I'm not trying to be, you know, uh, a firebrand in any regard. I really do wanna create a, a, a place where anybody feels comfortable here. But
1: the fact that your podcast, which is really about making like- making yourself better, making the world better, like being more open has become a source of controversy, kind of speaks to the moment that we're in, in which case we're, we've all felt the need to express ourselves in, in ways that we haven't before.
0: Well, you know, we're all, all of us, uh, no matter how grounded we are, we're all a little bit more easily triggered than we have been in the past. Yeah. And, and, and you know, we're walking this tightrope, this high wire act where, um, you know, we're dealing with some really big problems and there's some pretty large disagreements about how to solve those problems.
1: And there's microphones everywhere. There are. And so like yes. it all gets magnified, you know, it's like, it's it, it's all true. It's There's some really tough stuff we're dealing with, but also there's just so much media about it. The
0: revolution will be podcasting. The revolution. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> That's yes. bird
0: next book idea. <laughs> I know. where he communes with intellectuals and entertainers, theologians and philosophers in intimate exchanges that tickle the mind, heart, and yes, the soul. Subscribe to Soul Boom on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. There are certain rare people who have a powerful voice and know how to use it. Um, all right, let's pivot to the big story. Big story.
1: The big story, you know, it's Thanksgiving week. It is. This is dropping on Thanksgiving day, my friend. So we thought uh, that it would be a good time to talk about gratitude, mm. the practice of gratitude. When is it not a good time to talk about gratitude? Exactly. Like we're pivoting to gratitude listeners mm. um, and- This will
0: not be a political
1: this is on. not. This no. is not a political roll-on yet, but um, yeah. <laughs> but even Thanksgiving has been politicized as we know, right? Like there's, sure. there's a, it's being called into question. You were gonna talk about something even at your own house is being mm-hmm. called into question.
0: Yes, I have daughters in particular, one daughter who feels very strongly that uh, we should not be celebrating this holiday in the traditional manner in which it has been celebrated in the past mm. for reasons that she feels strongly about. Like she's a very young, politically minded, progressive you know, sort of activist in her own right. And she basically said, I don't wanna do this this year. I don't think that it's right. And I'm trying to honor her and listen to her. And it's been a little bit of a dance because we still wanna be able to have a family dinner Mm -hmm. and express gratitude and give thanks for the many blessings of our lives. Uh, At first she balked at that because she thought anything resembling what would be considered a traditional Thanksgiving celebration is t- is tantamount to basically rubber stamping the you know the kind of the checkered checker tradition mm-hmm. uh, in, in that birthed this holiday to begin with. So we're we're dealing with a little bit of that at home right now, which has created a lot of interesting uh, conversations with the kids, which has been great. That's awesome. Which is kind of really what it should be about anyway.
1: Right. Right. Is she writing the show under an anonymous name by any chance <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, she sends me like change.org petitions to sign like four a day
1: <laughs> you know like it's the pandemic man know, they should be yeah. at school having fun uh, yeah um, right but I mean you know for me it's like I love the idea of focusing on the gratitude aspect of it because there's something there even even if the myth is is not Whole and and there is a um, a history behind this that we have been taught only in piecemeal, like the broad strokes mm-hmm. that we've latched onto because they're nice, um, but not the full story because it's not so nice. Um, to me, it's like at this point we're not the pilgrims, we're not the we're not in the new world. We're two hundred something years later, and it's okay to have dinner and, and have a traditional meal and talk about. Uh, Gratitude. Mm-hmm. That's what I think. That's my personal opinion on mm-hmm. it. And um, I think we should be we should welcome all those kinds of. And this is a good part of it. You know, she's grateful for things too. And it's a great. It's a you know to be able to have that conversation at home. I know she'll look back on it and be grateful for
0: that. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. <laughs> TBD. <laughs> well, why don't you tell um, us? You
1: know, you're talking about the practice of gratitude. What do you mean by that?
0: Yeah. Well, I've talked about this quite a bit in the past as well on the podcast. I mean, for me. Gratitude doesn't come naturally. Like left to my own devices, I'm a pretty crotchety, cranky, yeah. self interested, selfish, self seeking, irascible you know <laughs> difficult to be around human being. You like, are not. Just difficult ask Julie. To be. <laughs> yeah. I came home. <laughs> Julie's I, it, done uh, wonderful work. We were we were uh, you know talking about fitness a, a few minutes ago, and I went out for a ride. On was it Sunday, Saturday, or Sunday? Uh, it was like a three hour ride. And I just was limping on the way home. And it, it's very difficult for me to not measure like where I'm at physically against, you know, where I have been in the past. Right. And the truth is like, I haven't, been around, I haven't been on the bike. So how can I expect to feel great and powerful and strong? And I, I was really kind of struggling at the end and just not, you know, and so, and Julie was pulling out of the driveway as I was coming home. She's like, how's the ride? And I was like, I feel terrible. You know like she's just like all right I got to go bye. You know she just knows like she doesn't even engage with me when I'm like that. She's like okay bye honey. You know? <laughs> okay bye. <laughs> yeah. Um you know that's a a more uh, accurate, you know, window into, you know, how my my default like operating system. So my point being that yeah. I have self-awareness around this. And I know that I have to do a fair amount of work to connect with gratitude. And when I'm able to do that, my life is better. The people around me are happier. Mm. I have a sunnier disposition, but it is a practice. It is not, like, I don't wake up in the morning and think, I'm so grateful. Like, I literally have to make a gratitude list either at night or first thing in the morning. I have to really sit with that and remember, like, here's where I'm at. Like, look at what where I was before, look at where I could be, look at what's happening with all these other people. There's so much for me to feel grateful about. Um, And it's important for me to do that in order to feel that because that's what makes me feel whole. And it makes me a better servant and a better parent and a better partner Mm. and a better friend. But without that, like I said, I will just no matter how many times I remind myself, if I don't do it diligently, like you, you can't sail on yesterday's wind, like Chad Wright says. Like I have to do it every single day, or I lose sight of it. And so, I think Thanksgiving is, you know, it's sort of like shouldn't every day, you know, the trope always comes up every year. Shouldn't every day be Thanksgiving? And it should, right? Right. This is a this is a day where we kind of canonize it and we give it a lot of attention, but. But gratitude being the foundation of Thanksgiving is something that we can practice on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, and it brings the light in, right? Like when, you're, when, when things aren't going well, to like bring it back to basics and to mm-hmm. remember what you are grateful for can reset your body and mind. It mm-hmm. can like bring the pulse down and the stress down and you can, you can get some light, right. even if it's just for a few minutes. It's all gonna be fine. Yeah. And hopefully that's all true. But like, even just for those few minutes, just to remember what you're grateful for. I mean, to be grateful for something simple, you mm-hmm. know, like a meal, right? Um, is, is like a harvest, something, something but not banal, but like a harvest, like something that, that you should expect to reap. Yeah. Um, that's to me what's cool about gratitude is, is not just the big things, but like all the things. So I, I, I texted you. That we should do a little practice right now. Right. One big thing, one small thing, one obvious thing, one fucking hard thing that made us who we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, our own little gratitude practice. So, um,
0: what's your big thing? The big thing. I mean, there's plenty of big things that come to mind. Uh, the most important is your health, right? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm grateful to be healthy, and that's something we. Tend to take for granted. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful for my family, for my sobriety, for for my career. Like these big kind of top of mind things fall into that category of the big thing. Yeah, um, but they can be things like, you know, I have food on the table. Like it does. It's it's hard to talk about this because it does sound so trite and I know. like lame. Right. You know?
1: Well, I even said that. Is but it, that's is why it's important corny? to like yeah. really
0: sit with that for a
1: minute. What is the one big thing today? Today, today the one big thing.
0: The one big thing is is uh, is health. Okay. Yeah. That I feel healthy in my body. That's awesome. What For me, you? the one big
1: thing is Zuma, the baby. The beach the, or the baby? The baby. <laughs> Zuma Beach. You should is remind nice if too. somebody's
0: new to this, you, your newborn's name is. That's Zuma.
1: That's right. Yeah. My he is uh, twelve weeks old, Mm-hmm. and. Uh, and he's what really fully waking up now and like you know engaging in in mm-hmm. reading and and looking at the pictures and like going on walks where he's checking things out much more and um and we have this nice cheat at home now where we don't always just read him the kid's books. sometimes if we want to read our we just read the book that we're reading. uh-huh, I read him a murder mystery a couple like a couple of weeks ago, oh, wow. we're hoping it doesn't <laughs> sink in <laughs> too deep. <laughs>
0: but he's just hearing the, the words, I think. I don't speak yeah. baby, so I think it's working. Uh-huh. Um, I think it's but, important to not speak baby yeah. and to just be a human being, yeah. you know, and yeah. and and kind of grant them that dignity that yeah. you're recognizing them as a sovereign human being. Yes. Um, and I'm
1: thankful the other big thing besides just Zuma is that he's now up to seven hours and 20 minutes in a row of sleep. Mm, so that's we're getting huge. there.
0: We're getting there.
1: If I went to bed at seven o'clock. That I'd would be a small thing
0: for, for other people, yeah. but that's a big thing. It's a big thing, thing for us stage. at this moment,
1: yeah. at this moment. Um, what about the small thing?
0: The thing that immediately comes to mind for me is having a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> Fantastic. Which is small, but it's kind of big too. Yeah. Like it's a small thing, but like when I wake up and I've had eight hours and I feel good, like that's, that's, a, that's a small thing that's actually huge. And I'm grateful that my back pain is reducing.
1: There you go. Mm, you? For me, it's just being able to exercise during the pandemic, having having that outlet, like having that connection to something and moving the body during this period of time. I think it's mm-hmm. really been helpful and useful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it's a small thing you can do every day. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it really is small for me. It's not like I'm like this, I'm no Ultraman, you know, like I'm not, I'm not yet, doing
0: it. Yet, <laughs> that's gonna be
1: the title but, of this you know, podcast. Like, Roll it, on yet. <laughs> Believe me. It is a small thing when I exercise, uh, but I am doing, I do do it consistently and doing and, and really enjoying it. So that's it.
0: Small o- things can be the big things. And then the big things can also be the obvious things, which is right. the next category. So These things all bleed together I to know. me. What's the obvious thing? I mean, thing? the obvious thing is, you know, beyond like my kids also being healthy yeah. and them all being at home right now and being able to enjoy them uh, doing the podcast. That's an obvious thing. Yeah. But I'm super grateful that I get to come in here and do this and have these conversations with you and other people. And that I get to make a living doing something that I enjoy. Like, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. How many people get excited when they wake up in the morning to go do the thing that actually puts food on the table? Like, I don't take that for granted at all. No. I mean, actually I should say, I do take it for granted unless I engage in this process and remember and connect with what a gift it is.
1: Yeah, the, gr- the gratitude to be able to do this for a living and have the fr- it's like it provides so much freedom, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Like you, you don't have to pour yourself into something that's like mind numbing. But that doesn't mean there aren't it details. Still work there's there's a, there, there's yeah. still shit you don't want to do. Every job has shit you don't want to do. Um, but uh, but yeah, I, uh, I got to call Adam and go over the outline this morning before the podcast. <laughs> like, I <can't> believe it. <laughs> he's so he's so talkative. He's so <laughs> yeah. chatty. Um, you know, it's funny. I put the obvious thing in there as a place for us to put the family stuff, so we didn't get in trouble by not putting them in the big thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> but I'm glad we did them as the big thing, yeah. and then the obvious thing. I would say, uh, for me, this year for sure, last two years has been can't hurt me, and the and the people mm-hmm. rallying to that book. Um, you know, it literally is as as completely changed my credit score. So I appreciate right. that. Uh my life too, but yeah. like the, Your
0: credit <laughs> my score. credit
1: score has really <laughs> benefited from
0: it. It's incredible.
1: Yeah, man. yeah. And um, so, and just the fact that it's helped so many people and just to be a part of that. So thankful to David mm-hmm. and Jennifer and can't hurt me. So cool. that's my big thing,
0: yeah cool. obviously And then one fucking hard thing to be grateful for. Yeah. This is my favorite category. I think it's the most important category because it compels you to reflect on uh, things that are were perhaps difficult or that you're enduring right now and trying to find where the lesson is in that. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the things that can really shift your perspective in your life. So in my case, there are obvious fucking hard things to be grateful for, like my alcoholism. I remember when I came into recovery and people would identify as a grateful alcoholic and I was like what is that like why would you say that that's insane now I totally get that get I it. completely understand that and I'm on that page like this experience that I had of being you know in the throes of a of a of a of a malady that really took me to a dark place and then coming out of it makes me so grateful for those experiences that I've had because it catalyzed the path that I'm on now. Mm -hmm. And I wouldn't be on this path without having endured the hardship and the pain and the difficulties and everything that that entailed back then. And I have a tremendous amount of gratitude for having weathered that. Similarly, uh, for having weathered the financial, you know, sort of devastation that myself and my wife and our family endured. Not that long ago, like in the you know, back in 2012, 2013, right. even back in even before that, starting around 2008, many years of really like living hand to mouth and trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life and how I was going to put food on the table. And I look back on that now and I really feel like it was like, uh, you know, what was what was required in order for me to be able to kind of carry the frequency that I carry now. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, I'm extremely grateful for that experience as difficult and as painful as that was.
1: Yeah. Mine is, isn't too dissimilar, Um, not the alcoholism, but uh, went through a divorce in 2012, I, it, we didn't, we weren't married very long and it kind of ended very quickly and badly. And, uh, and that kind of precipitated this crazy cycle where just everything went to shit for like months and months. And um, I remember like turning around. I don't want to get too much detail. We talked about it mm-hmm. on when I when I was a guest on the podcast. Mm-hmm. So if you want to hear about it, uh, that's probably the what best episode place. number. Was that it was a long time it was ago. early. It was like yeah. we were in that Westlake office. You had right. Um, but there was that cycle. And I know some, I have a neighbor who says like he's going through a cycle like that where, you know, you get hurt, you, you know, the, like the, the you're you pass due on rent, your, you know, wife is gone. You're like, mm-hmm. like those kinds of crazy cycles. And you just, at the time you, at first it was so painful to just continue to get kicked in the face. Um, but, you know, and I even had a friend say, you know, in 10 years, that that'll just be a blip. And at the time, I didn't believe it. I thought like you don't know you know how it feels, but it it, uh, it is a blip. Mm-hmm. You know it was a blip. it was it was it does feel that way and um and not only that, just going through that period of time put me on a path to where I'm sitting here today because of because of that divorce, I moved to Kauai to cover a story. and the photographer who came and worked me on that, Leah Barrett. Um, brought you know came up with this idea to go cover a free diving competition, which uh, led me you know to being there and covering it for the New York Times when mm-hmm. the first American free diver died. and the competition the first american the first free diver ever to die at a competition happened. Mm-hmm. He happened to be the best American free diver, Nicholas Mavoli, and uh, subject of one breath. so mm-hmm. that became that that just triggered Burst everything, right Like without the divorce, none of that happens. Other things happen which is fine but like without that feeling that pain and going through all of that you know you just never know what's on the other side of that and so you have you you have to get to of course you have to get to the other side it's not as easy to get to the other side depending on whatever someone's pain might be or circumstances might be some people don't get to the other side because they give into it or give up or 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 the it's so like whatever they're going through is mm-hmm. so bad mm-hmm. that it prevents them from doing that it's not always an, an internal fortitude that yeah. gets you to the other side. Um, I wasn't threatened; my life wasn't threatened. But there was plenty of times where I felt like things were going quite. I remember getting caught out in, um, what, you know, while I was in Kauai, getting caught in, you know, over, you know, overhead surf, couldn't get in, and just kept, and there was nobody around. I mean, I had moments like that in that period. Like this is it? Yeah. Like like you're like whoa! This is really the universe mm. saying. Saying something, we're putting you in the wash cycle, <laughs> getting, getting well, slammed around. But now I'm grateful for them. It's
0: you know? interesting yeah. how uh, rear view vision is always 2020. 20, yeah, the more that time passes, and right. our ability to prospectively uh, cast that glance forward is nothing but blindness. Right? Yeah. Like we can't see the path ahead of us. No. And when you're in that pain point, when somebody comes to you and says. You know, Adam, this isn't happening to you. It's happening for you. You're like, fuck off. (laughs) Right. You know, that is like not what you want to hear. No. No matter how true it may or may not be. But I can tell you, as somebody who's now in their mid-50s, like when I look back on the most difficult, the most, you know, enduring moments that I've had to weather over the course of my life, without a doubt, they invariably were experiences that led to a better outcome hmm. in the future that I could not have predicted or foreseen in that moment. Hmm. And the only kind of uh, comfort that I can give somebody who is struggling, who finds themselves, you know, treading water or powerless in a situation in which you know chaos reigns and they can't see their way out of it, is just to stay in it and break it down into the most finite of moments to be present with what you're experiencing, try to do the next best right thing that you can do and to maintain your composure and equanimity. Like if you can navigate it from the perspective of a Jedi where externalities don't penetrate your core and you can figure out how to remain true to yourself, that's all you can do. Yeah. That's a
1: big deal. That's a big thing too. Which is really difficult to do. Especially when chaos descends, which is what I used to talk about when it was happening was chaos descends and it does, and there's nothing you can do about it. Sometimes chaos descends. DFO. It's it's your time. Don't freak out. It's your time. Yeah. And so we're laughing about it because we've been through it, but like when you're going through it, it, it is so painful. So when we talk about these kinds of things, you know, they are from experience mm-hmm. to, to some degree. And, and um, but you know, if it wasn't for that period, I wouldn't be sitting across from Ritual right now. And I wouldn't be sitting across from Adam we weren't Skullnick. We wouldn't be talking about vegan of, Thanksgiving of, ideas.
0: Of, of <laughs> exactly, <laughs> getting to talk about how are we gonna have a plant-based Thanksgiving? Yes, um, so let's pivot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, every year I end up talking about this. I think Thanksgiving presents an amazing opportunity to kind of ply your plant-based skills, Mm. uh, to be an environmentally conscious person, trying to live a little bit more sustainably and compassionately with our animal friends. And it's difficult, especially when family members are involved or large gatherings, like how do you do it plant-based or try to introduce a plant-based bent to what is traditionally a fowl, and I say that. With a W. Yeah, foul like poultry fowl bent to the whole thing. Um, but there are some easy ways to do it. I think when you set aside the turkey, let's face it, turkey actually isn't that good. It's pretty dry and tasteless right. overall. So right. I don't get the big fascination with the whole thing. It probably tasted better when it was a wild turkey that, <laughs> they, that they hit with an arrow. You know, it seems more yeah. ceremonious than anything at this yeah. point. Yeah. Um, but from a pure like taste perspective, I challenge you to come up with an argument about why turkey tastes great and why you need to have it. Really? So let's set that so- okay. aside right now. You why you like need you to have it? No, why... Let, come to me with an argument, like why, why it's still in turkey the... tastes so good and you just like, you crave it or whatever. It's the gravy. I think it's the, the ceremony around it. Yeah. yeah, it's the gravy, it's the, the seasoning, it's, it's, it's all the other stuff. It's all the other stuff. And all the other stuff is plant-based. C- so get be. rid of the turkey. It can be, yeah. You can have the potatoes and the sweet potatoes yeah. and the stuffing and the cranberry and all of that yeah. without any of the other right. stuff. You don't have to kill a bird. Um, but if you're looking for guidance, I got a couple things that you can pursue. The first would be to check out our Plant Power Meal Planner for like a self-serving plug here, but thousands of recipes that you can customize and plenty of stuff in there that is highly appropriate for Thanksgiving. So check that out. That's at meals.richroll.com. Also, Julie and I several years ago, and it must've been, I don't know, six or seven years ago, did a series of videos that I think are still on my YouTube channel. I'll find links to all of them where we um, walked people through a variety of recipes around Thanksgiving plant-based recipes. So uh, check the show notes for that. The Washington Post just came out with an article, vegetarian and vegan Thanksgiving recipes to anchor the menu. I mean, it's amazing when the Washington Post is writing articles about how to have a vegan Thanksgiving. No kidding. This is where we're at culturally, which is amazing. It's it's really advanced, it's incredible. And our cookbook, The Plant Power Way, we've got tons of recipes in there that are are also very Thanksgiving. Adjacent. Yep. Um, Julie had an interesting um, idea the other day, like in in kind of delicately, you know, trying to traverse this this upcoming holiday with our daughters and their sensibility. She found this cookbook called the Sioux Chef. Mm. Sioux spelled like Sioux Sioux Native American. S yeah. I O U X. It's not a vegan cookbook, but um, most of the recipes in there can be easily veganized. But basically, it's traditional Native American cuisine, which is really the the kind of baseline genesis of the whole Thanksgiving rigmarole to begin with, right? Yep. Um, I can't remember the author of this book and I was gonna bring it because she had it on the kitchen table and I forgot to bring it. Um, but I was paging through it this morning and it's pretty cool. There's like a lot of amazing stuff in there that, and it's it's really predominantly plant-based. So maybe check that out and make that like a little... Family adventure.
1: Do you um have any say in the menu? Mm. Do I have any say in the menu? Yeah, you personally.
0: I have a say. It's questionable how much that say is weighed. (laughs) You say Julie's in charge. Julie's in charge. Julie's in charge. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I'm I'm good. You know, like she's amazing. Like she when she cooks, like everybody's (laughs) happy. Yeah. Like (laughs) I can only mess that up. I think the larger question for the listener is I mean, this would be a different conversation if we weren't in the middle of COVID because people aren't traveling. So, you you know, most people aren't doing large extended family gatherings like we normally would be doing over this holiday, but that's not to say that that's not happening in certain circumstances. And I think if you're going to be attending a dinner and hopefully doing it in a safe and socially distanced way, I don't know how that works, but... Um, you can bring a plant-based dish. Like you can't, right. you may not be able to commandeer the entire menu, but you could introduce uh, a recipe that maybe ordinarily would be meat or dairy based, right. but do it in a plant-based way and use that as an opportunity to say, hey, look, it, you know this is great, it tastes amazing, and it doesn't have to have those other things in it. And perhaps that will prompt a discussion around this topic.
1: Beautiful. I wanted to add one thing on piggybacking on the sous chef idea, and that is Seeding Sovereignty, which is uh, sovereign nations, Native American um, advocacy rights advocacy group that was kind of came together around the pipeline fight mm. in North Dakota, the mm-hmm. Dakota Access Pipeline, um, Standing Rock. Uh, they are doing a fo- fundraiser, a virtual four miler, so for runners who wanna get into it uh, and we'll we'll put the link, you can get to it through their Instagram. Um, and it's being led by some really great uh, indigenous runners. One is Jordan Marie Daniel, who is um, recently profiled in Sports Illustrated. She's been an activist and advocate for years and years. She's local here in LA. Mm. Um, and uh, so let me see, I wanted to bring that up. Uh, and she's gonna be leading it. The other one is um, a woman who actually Bobby Jean three legs is her name. And she was one of the people that started the standing rock movement when she ran to DC to go advocate on behalf of her I people. I don't even know that. Story. Yeah. So that's she's, she's been called the voice of a generation. Um, and so she's going to be one of the people running. So, uh, you know, we're talking about some real amazing young activists and athletes that are a part of this. Um, and if you want to be a part of it, you just have to sign up. I think it's like twenty bucks, and you virtual can sign up. It's like yeah, it's like the virtual Ahmad Arbery run. I right. think that that happened. Similar. You just do it in your own mm. space, your own pace over the course of three days. I think it's open from anywhere from the twenty fifth to the twenty eighth or something like that. Um, and
0: you can just you, you sign up
1: and. Cool. Um And you do it.
0: Uh, we'll put the link yeah. in the show notes. Do you know the link offhand though? Uh, you know, I Seeding go- Seeding Sovereignty. Yeah, Seeding, Seeding Sovereignty that.
1: I think is it's, yes, it is, I'll put the link up. It's kind of this longer link. I'm, I'm right. on Seeding Sovereignty's website right now and and, and it's there. So right. if you, seedingsovereignty.org. We'll
0: link it up. Yeah. Um, the food is one thing, but- when we're talking about Thanksgiving and this holiday. Yeah. But the real bigger issue is strategies for managing tricky family relationships through the holidays and how to deal with the stress and perhaps a disagreement here or there. Yeah. Around once or twice. The holiday dinner table. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right? That's happened. It's been known to happen. Yeah. I suspect it might be happening a little bit more frequently and vigorously than in past years, just because of where the culture is right now. If um, Yes. And again, you know, in, in typical times, this might be a little bit more heightened than normal, but with COVID, are people traveling or are they not traveling? I mean- I can't tell. There was, I mean, <laughs> they're
1: traveling, bro. Yeah.
0: People, are, people are traveling. I think Arizona's
1: airport, there were some photos that went online that were like really crazy. And another person photographed stuff in Vegas that seemed nuts for our family. uh, COVID, actually the disagreement ab- about whether to get together was happening because of COVID before mm. the decision. It wasn't really even a disagreement. It was more just like the comfort right, level. Before
0: you even get, yeah, it yeah. used to be like, at least we all agree that we're getting together, Yeah, right? Now, now it's, it's comfort like, level. should we, should, yeah. you need to come? No, we're not, come. yeah, there's right. disagreements about the safety about right. getting together. About right? the responsibility so of the, even having So the strife occurs before right. the you know gathering right. even transpires. Right, well and it's a whole it other even, layer of complexity. it wasn't really like thing.
1: strife, but at some point, um you know, like m- my sister and my mom were going back and forth and very polite but kind of pointed language, like you know, um i I think you need to do what's best for you. I wasn't judging you, you know, like mm. really sweet stuff, and I'm just sending Zuma pictures to well, I'm like, sure
0: everybody wants to see it. the baby.
1: Yeah, that's part of it. So it ends up I'm going down to the desert where my parents live with April and Zuma and we're just going to be the five of us having dinner. We mm-hmm. all got tested ahead of time. I got tested this weekend. Um obviously, the way I look at it with COVID is anytime you leave the house, you are taking a risk. That's just the way it is. It's the, it's in it's it's airborne. That's life. Um but we're very careful. You know, I come here, I come to the farmers market, I go exercise. That's basically mm-hmm. it. We do everything else we're doing like um, Instacart, we're not really going a lot of places. Right. Um, and it's been that way for a long time. But, you know, even that, like my sister's family lives up in the Bay Area. So to come all the way down and then, you know, make that trek and having the kids having to use the restroom and any sort of interaction, that freaked my sister out. So it was, you know, at first it was going to be nine of us. Now it's five. Yeah.
0: Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for the purposes of this discussion, let's establish a hypothetical scenario Let's in which it. an extended family has figured out the parameters under which they can gather and they are indeed gathering mm. so they're all together okay. in one domicile somewhere uh, preparing the holiday meal <laughs> okay <laughs> and the inevitable you know sideways comment comes out mm. or the button that the parent installed gets pushed by that parent, and yeah. the recipient gets triggered in a certain way. Right. And what ensues is that predictable cycle that's been repeated for you know years, if not decades, that invariably you know ends up in the same place it always does, which is people not happy and whatever. Right. right? So, how do we reconfigure this or at least create a scenario in which a healthier, better outcome could perhaps transpire. There are certain obvious things that you can do. Um, you can avoid talking about politics. You can turn off the news. You can make your encounters more activity-based rather than conversational. Right. Um, but I think this is really difficult and I don't have you know the bulletproof easy answer to all of these things. But I think it's important first and foremost, that if you find yourself preparing to enter into one of these encounters, that you do everything in your power to be as emotionally and spiritually fit as you possibly can. And to understand that the only thing you can control is your response to whatever is occurring. And when you Maintain that focus on yourself, and not in not rather than trying to control, you know, what other people are going to say or not say or behave. Right, you're in a better position to be that Jedi and navigate it from a place of of grace and consciousness. So, make sure that you are getting enough sleep, that you are exercising, that you are meditating, that you have some kind of uh, brief mindfulness practice so that if you find yourself off kilter, you can bring yourself back to your baseline, that you can be resilient in the face of disagreements or, you know, treacherous emotional water. So self-care I think is absolutely critical um, and needs to be heightened rather than de-escalated in a situation like this. And I think if you're traveling, you're out of your environment and it becomes. Uh, more difficult to carve out that time or it feels indulgent, like I don't have time because I'm in somebody else's house or whatever. Then the conversation in my mind turns to healthy boundaries. Like Mm. you've gotta create healthy boundaries around your own self-care routines, but also just around yourself in general and how you interact with other people. And that's to say that here's where it gets tricky because if you find yourself in a heated situation, if you are in a circumstance in which you have a point of view that's different from somebody else, you don't wanna be the person who avoids being honest or expressing your truth because you're afraid of losing the relationship or escalating a certain situation. But if you do kind of refrain, I think in the short run, that might be an effective strategy for like avoiding a a scenario. In the long run though, it's not a good strategy because it will lead to resentment. And that mm-hmm. resentment will brew and create a perhaps more um, perilous fracture that's difficult to heal. So there's short-term and long-term.
1: Healing. But it doesn't it depend on the kind of the, there's like, it, it's, it's not that black and white. There's like scores for the different variables, right? Like, yeah. like, like if it's a big thing, probably don't talk about the dinner table. You can have a little talk (laughs) upstairs. If it's a small thing, I would include even politics in that, even though that feels really big right now. Like that's still to me, can be considered a superficial disagreement between family members at the table. Mm -hmm. Um, So which is the one, you know, to me, like I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, refrain, refrain, refrain. Well, it's,
0: I think it's, You know, in my mind, it's like, what's most important? What's most important? What's most important? And if a, a sideways comment gets slung out, yeah, it's up to you whether you bite on that or respond or not. Right. You don't have to respond. You don't have to engage, and that's part of the healthy boundaries, right? Like, yeah. if you erect a healthy boundary around yourself, or you make, you know, you make some rules for yourself, like I'm not going to engage with this. You can just let it go. yeah. And even if you feel your body contracting and you feel like the heat going up into your head, that doesn't mean that you have to do anything with that. So like, that's not you... accommodation.
1: If you've if set up the boundaries and it falls outside the boundaries, then you're doing it on your own terms. Therefore it's not accommodation.
0: Well, I think it's it's, it, again, it goes back to, like if it's about a political matter, like, is this really important? Like, do we, right. you know, an understanding, like you're not gonna change this person's mind. They're not gonna change your mind. Like, do you have the acuity and the level of emotional maturity to not get triggered by that? Yeah. Like it's a it, it's a discipline, right? Yeah. And if you can just be a full Jedi and non-reactive in those scenarios, then that puts you in a position of power, right? Mm -hmm. Like if the button that your parent installed in you gets pushed and that parent knows that when they push that button, you're gonna react in a certain way and then you don't react that way, that becomes confusing and throws the whole program off the rails, right? right? And then you're in a position to, to be in a place where now you're not just mindlessly repeating a pattern that, you know, is on autopilot and Mm -hmm. has been your entire life. Mm -hmm.
1: I love it. So set healthy boundaries, create the environment conducive to the best outcome, meditate, get yourself together prior to going in. And then really letting, it's like playing tennis when the ball is going and you know, it's outside your boundaries, let it go. But if it's something right in your wheelhouse, it's super important to you, then it's okay to stand up for yourself in a way that's healthy. Um, that's not degrading the other person
0: and 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 speak your mind. But I think it's important the manner in which you do that. Yeah. Right. If you do it in a confrontational way, then this is not going to go well. But if you <laughs> lead with curiosity and yeah. somebody says something you disagree with, and I've talked about this before, your response is tell me more about that. Yeah. And you just that's ask questions, idea. yeah, you're you're able to converse about that subject, but you're you're depleting it of its electrical charge, yeah. which is really the problem, right? It's yeah. not the issue itself, it's all the emotions around it that always. then compel you to like say the thing that you know that you shouldn't and you can't help yourself and you do it anyway.
1: I've always noticed that also as just, I'm sure you feel the same way in an uncomfortable social situations, just ask questions. You never have to say anything what you really believe. <laughs>
0: Let other people do all the talking. Yeah, just keep yeah, yeah, just keep asking questions. (laughs) Yeah. But you don't want to be passive aggressive with those questions either.
1: Not loaded questions. If you treat it like really with curiosity, that's a good way to like a journalist. Like a journalist. Like if I'm speaking if I'm on a story, like on the Border Wall story and I was hanging out at a bar with Border Patrol agents, I'm not I, I wasn't rude to them. I wasn't like trying to debate them. I'm listening to them, right? But how come I can do that, but not with a good friend or someone like that,
0: or a parent, or a parent? Or, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's because you're living in in the past. Yeah, like you're living in a past that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So, a really helpful technique that I've employed in this situation is to, you know, it's it's re, it's it's related to your border patrol example. Pretend that the person you're speaking to has like a television set around their head and that you're watching them on TV. You like it's not like then it's like, "Oh, they're just saying that thing." Like you're not you're not getting all emotionally worked up when you see somebody on television, maybe you do, but you like never you never know, watched TV with like, me. Yeah, I throw I things. <laughs> but like, "Oh, this is a program." Yeah. Right? This is a program. This person is running a program. Yeah. I'm pro- and I don't want to run my program because I have a program too. Right. And that allows you to put a little bit of objective distance between what that person is saying and how you react or respond to it. And I think ultimately, remember, it's not about them and you can't control them. All you can do is control yourself. So just keep returning the focus onto your own behavior and response. Love it. And I think Rumi said it best, did he not?
1: He he did, I love what you have here. Yeah,
0: he said, yesterday I was clever so I wanted to change the world. Today I am wise, so I am changing myself." Exactly. So maybe think about that a little bit.
1: Yes. All right, what's I love next? I um, Teachable moment. Mm. COVID is a never ending endurance race. Yes. So you found this story.
0: This is a great article by podcast alum, Alex Hutchinson, yep. who is an amazing, Journalist. He's also an incredible runner. Is that uh, right? He wrote an amazing book called Endure. Uh, he was on the podcast several years ago. Can't remember what episode number that is, but I'll, I'll link it up in the show notes. He's He's one of my favorite writers. He's a um, columnist at the Globe and Mail, which is yeah. where this is from. Yeah, he lives in Canada. And just really, he has a very thoughtful, analytical, scientific lens on the intersection of sport, particularly endurance sports and larger issues. Mm-hmm. And I kind of put him in the same category as uh, like a David Epstein
2: okay. in the books that he's yep. written.
0: They're, they're, they, they share kind of a similar sensibility in that regard. But anyway, he wrote this article called COVID-19 is like running a marathon with no finish line. What does sports science say about how we can win? And I thought it was really insightful in the way that he compares um, how we, approach and weather difficulty in our daily lives and how this kind of plays out in running. And he does it in the context of the idea of finish lines. Like no matter how long the race is that you're running, whether it's a marathon or an ultra marathon, there is a finish line. And just knowing A, that there is a finish line and where that finish line is, helps us stay engaged with the process of arriving at that finish line. But here we are with COVID, in the early days, we kind of thought there would be this finish line. We didn't know exactly where it was. And in recent months, we're all now living in this liminal space where (laughs) like, is there a finish line? Where is it? We don't know, it could be a year. Some are saying this, some are saying that. And that's creating emotional challenges with how we engage with the world because we don't know where that ending point is. And, and these so,
1: promises that like maybe the vaccine is coming is almost works against you is what mm-hmm. he's arguing, right? Like
0: Well, like, the, because it keeps getting moved, right? Right, or,
1: or or like now you think you have a finish line but when that does move inevitably mm-hmm. or possibly, then you really get deflated.
0: Right, right. It's and that's like the Navy SEAL example, right? right? Like right. where they try to fuck with you by think, you know trying to Convince you that you've completed this task, only to then, you know, extend it.
1: Right, like you know, in "Can't Hurt Me," David talks about during Hell Week, with a specifically a particularly sadistic instructor was leading them back from um, from Chow back to, you know, the pain, and um, and uh, he just they thought they had a two mile run back, uh-huh. and all of a sudden the, the the instructor takes them on this circuitous route. And people in his boat crew were just like gutted. Mm-hmm. And we're like, what the fuck? And all the other boat crews too. But he kind of got his boat crew together. And was like, no, we're staying on this guy the whole time. Because to David, that's what he's built for. That's what he talks about. There is no finish line. You're training for life. You're not training for the race. Right. He's built for it. Because and every he's, race he's,
0: that he does, as soon as he crosses the finish line, he goes and does more. Perfect example. He just
1: did it this past weekend. The JFK 50 miler in Maryland. He did the fifty miler in, in eight thirty mile splits, and then um, eight twenty five, eight twenty five, yeah. and then went back uh, to pace his buddy mm-hmm. for um, another eleven or twelve right. miles.
0: It's it's a practice. Like he, yeah. I don't think he would ever just finish and like celebrate. Like he he compels himself to then go do something hard right away.
1: He did twenty five push ups after yeah. finishing Moab.
0: <laughs> I know. It's also similar to. Uh, this thing, I, I had Joe DeSena on the podcast recently yeah. and hasn't aired yet. Um, he's the founder of Spartan Race. Okay. And he's got this farm in Vermont and he create prior to Spartan Race, he created this other race like it at is at his, on his property. Yeah, And the whole idea was to create like the most difficult thing ever. And the hardest part of it was that he wouldn't tell people when the race was starting or what the race was or how long it was or when it would end. And it was that mental game of not knowing like, how long am I gonna be like lifting logs and trudging through frozen ponds or whatever it is that he had them doing. Right. Not knowing when it was gonna end was the thing that just broke most people. And what Alex Hutchinson is talking about in this article is that very thing, like how... um you know the 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 unknowing, the the mystery around how this whole COVID thing is going to get resolved creates a paralysis in people because we can't see the finish line.
1: He calls he 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 cites a term from a German physiologist, uh, telio anticipation, like future anticipation yeah. of an of an ending. And he like I think he goes through some science, sports science on it where he t- he he looks at um I guess the studies that have proven. The first and last mile are always the fastest by far of any right. marathon or any so any race. No matter over how 10K long the or race is, or any yeah. any race over ten thousand meters,
0: you know, whatever five hundred meters yeah. or half kilometer is always the fastest, with the exception of perhaps the first kilometer. Right,
1: that's right. And yeah. and it was it was because of uh, because of just that you you, you know you're going to end, so you give it all all out. And there was another study that, you know, when people were on the treadmill for however long, and then when they Got off the treadmill, and they were told, "Oh no, you got to get back on there for ten more minutes." That's when their performance really sunk. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that they couldn't have just stayed on for ten minutes if they'd known it was ten minutes longer; they probably mm-hmm. would have been their fastest ten minutes. But because right. they were told that was it, it was over, and the whole thing is couched in this, you know, virtual ultra.
0: Which right? Is really it's Mike Wardian, who's an amazing ultra runner, and this this backyard ultra race where virtually across the world, these ultra runners would run this, I think it was like a four mile loop. Yeah, in their four miles every hour, right? Yeah, or every, was it every? Yeah, yeah. every hour. And it's a last man standing thing, like yeah. whoever's still going. <laughs> and like at one point, Mike just can't go anymore. And- he gets a second wind. Um, I can't remember the exact his wife. His wife wouldn't let yeah, him quit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he yeah, go, he what? goes, I don't feel like doing this anymore. She goes, that's a, not a good reason. Right, and, and why does he feel that? Like he's certainly physically capable of going right. longer, but it's the not knowing, like, cause he's competing. He doesn't know how long these other people are gonna keep going. Well, part right? of it
1: also though, like in the story, Alex points out that like, after they got to a hundred miles, like the first 24 hours, cause right. the 24 hours, you're at a hundred. After you got to a hundred miles. Uh, yeah, cause it was like, I guess it must've been five, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, once they got there, like the next hour, half the field yeah, they just all failed. dropped out. Right. They had their they own hit that finish line, in mind. right? They, they, I just want to do it for twenty. That's hours. how they
0: got that far by focusing on the one hundred right. mark, right? right? But right. once that that was eclipsed, then yeah. what are they looking at? Half and you can't stay motivated. Yeah. It's right? very interesting. So the point Super is is to
1: is to embrace the no finish line mentality, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah. So he
0: says in this with this in this um, piece about teleo anticipation, using endurance sports as as their medium, researchers in the subfield have probed what happens when you hide the finish line, surreptitiously move it or take it away entirely. For those of us tempted by promising vaccine updates to start fantasizing about an end of the pandemic, these researchers have some advice, don't. Don't. Right. So what do you do with that, right? Right. And the conclusion that he draws that I think is so instructive and informative is that we need to stop Asking, like, can I make it to the finish? And instead ask ourselves, can I keep going? Yeah. And when you're in that place of can I keep going, which is really a mindfulness practice of rooting you in the present moment, you're more likely to be able to, you know, tap into the reservoirs of motivation required to, you know, continue to move forward.
1: And that's also a good strategy for the chaos cycles when that descends, you know, can I keep going? It's
0: it's a good strategy for anything, like whether you're an endurance runner or just somebody, you know, who's trying to make it through the pandemic without going insane.
1: Because you can keep going. That's really what it comes down to. And that's
0: the point. You're a human being, being, you're built
1: to keep going.
0: And then in the example that he gives about Mike Wardian, like after he outlasted everybody else, then he wanted to keep going and they wouldn't let him.
1: Right, he ends <laughs> yeah, up winning, like, he ends up going yeah. 60 plus hours. And then the guy didn't show up for his last, the last, the latest uh, hour. And that that was, it was over and he was like,
0: bummer. Right, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Excuse me. so it's illustrative once again of yeah. the distinction between our mental capacity and our physical capacity and how the mind is truly the limiter, not the body. Yeah, beautiful. All right. We will link up that article in the show notes. It's in the the Globe and Mail, right? Yeah, it is. uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And with that, let's take a quick break, and we'll be back with a little show and tell and and listener questions. Subscribe to The Proof, available wherever you get your podcasts, and explore other groundbreaking series at voicingchange.media. I'm super proud to announce All right, we're back. I feel good, man. How do you feel? It feels good, man. Interesting you should say that because that's what we're gonna talk about I right know. now. Yeah. Uh, for show and tell, I don't think we had a documentary recommendation last time we got together, did we? It's been a while since the ritual uh, Film no. Club has <laughs> yeah, invaded it, my life. I think uh, we need to get back to our roots, which is that truly <laughs> this is a documentary-focused documentary uh, yes. focused podcast, yeah. our documentary this week that we're gonna talk about, what an amazing film. It's called Feels Good, Man. Uh, This movie, I feel like in many ways is a close cousin or kind of um, important tangential viewing to movies like The Social Dilemma Mm -hmm. or The Great Hack. Like Mm -hmm. it's a deep dive into artistic iconography and how powerful that can be and how symbols can become... The underpinning of political movements, yeah. I guess, is one way of putting it. Uh, this movie, it, w- it premiered at Sundance, but I don't feel like it's gotten its due in the kind of streaming universe that it should. Because I thought it was extraordinary. Yeah, so tw- maybe t- it came out this Explain year, what it is. Twenty twenty. Yeah.
1: yeah. So um, to me, it's one of the the best documentaries I've seen in years. Like the Social Network, or Social, not social, social Dilemma. dilemma was very was good, but like that kind of follows in line with the kind of the netflix documentaries that are that are coming out, which are you know compelling, great information, but it's not like amazing filmmaking
0: mm-hmm.
1: um this is an amazing film, like yeah. it really is it's it, made it's,
0: by a true artist and yeah. a filmmaker, yeah, that tells a very important story, but does it in a uniquely creative way,
1: yeah, and it tells a story of of um matt fury a great cartoonist who created pepe the frog um and this this book uh, he had a book. What was it called? A boys' club or uh, boys' boys' life? Boys', boys life. club. Yeah, something it like called? that. Yeah. Um, In a comic book series, comic book series, which included Pepe the Frog and a dog and and like four characters, and they were just basically burners. They were like right. Lebowski's. They they they'd party, they'd get drunk, they'd smoke weed, and then they'd wake up and like you know fuck around, right? And that He's was like twenty
0: something, post collegiate, yeah. nihilistic, like. Party dudes that kind of just all live together in a shitty apartment, right? Do whatever, and and it was a
1: very popular series, a very funny series. Like fellow cartoonists kind of chime in and talk about it, but it ends up Pepe the Frog ends up cut to the 2015, even before that, but becomes an alt right mascot, especially in 2016, Mm -hmm. and ends up Pepe the Frog ends up on the um, like hate watch list or something for the Anti Defamation League, Mm -hmm. and. Um, and it all you know, there's nothing that, and you know, obviously that was never the artist's intention. It was just like a fun comic, right? And he ends up being like this, this really powerful, potent figure, thanks to Four Chan and the power of memes, where it really is first where it took ro- yeah. took root. Um, and so this this st- movie follows Matt Fury and into the into this dark world of Four Chan. It also is an explainer of Four Chan. An explainer of kind of the alt right's rise up in support of Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, explainer of a lot of the chaos that we have now. It, it, this is an explainer for that. So it's this story about a really nerdy, cool artist and his friends in San Francisco that becomes this kind of lens, which to see the last several years. Um, I found it. Film.
0: I found it utterly fascinating yeah. um, for so many reasons. First of all, you've got Matt Fury, who's just this sensitive, sweet artist right who likes to draw and play with his daughter and he just seems like a cool dude, right? Loves frogs. He's been drawing (laughs) frogs. He's been drawing frogs his whole life. Yeah. And my kind of entry point to this is, you know, I remember specifically when the frog emoji started showing up in certain Twitter account bios, Mm -hmm. right? Like clearly it was a symbol that meant something more than this is a cute frog. Yeah. And I started to learn about kind of who Pepe the frog was and some origins, but it's always been completely confounding and confusing to me. Like Pepe the frog is a symbol of a certain political sensibility. Like how did that happen? And this movie unpacks the whole thing and it's far more interesting than you could possibly imagine.
1: Yeah, and it's twisted and dark and really right. fucked up and then it has a really great ending where there's a twist to it. But, um, but yeah, I mean, to me, it was a reminder of how out of it I was in 2016 because I didn't You're know unaware. about Pepe the Frog. Right, I was I was busy swimming
0: in the ocean like five days a week. You weren't and on 4chan. I was no, I was not on 4chan. So, um, yeah. so like you said, Matt yeah. creates this character. He's been drawing frogs his whole life, yep. and the the kind of inflection point was in the MySpace era. He would take. JPEGs or screen grabs of some of his pages from his comic books and post them on his page. Right. And the one that really tipped it over was a picture of Pepe, you know, this character he created, Pepe, who was like peeing in a urinal with his pants down around his... Ankles because right. like who does that, right? right. Like,
1: yeah. Cause he had like a buddy. He's like he remembered being like 10 and like walking on his buddy who had his pants, like that's like, what he all does. All the way down
0: at his ankles on like, a urinal, good. like who would do that? Yeah. And and his roommate's like, What are you doing? And he's like, feels good, man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And 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 there's a weird expression on his face that's very Mona Lisa-esque. Like yeah. you're not quite clear. It's a it's kind of a smirk, yeah, a knowing smirk, but yeah. you're not quite crystal clear on where this character is coming from. And ultimately that finds its way onto 4chan when 4chan exploded, which is, you know, a very um, uh, uh, unlimited, you know, anonymous space for people to express their opinions Um, And it's kind of, you know, retrobate in that regard, right? Because everybody's anonymous there, people say things they wouldn't ordinarily say.
1: Yeah, and And it it was kind of owned by, oh, sorry. Yeah, go ahead. It was kind of like dominated by really sad kind of people who are at loose ends, who- who Lonely, disenfranchised
0: young males for the most
1: part. Incels. Mm -hmm. In specific. Well, that came later. That came later, but that it kind of grew into that. this is kind
0: of a a breeding ground for what would become like the incel movement. Right. And at some point along the way, this community adopts Pepe the Frog. Yeah. And makes it their own. Like they just exchange memes. Like
1: at first 4chan becomes big because
0: like, artists are
1: exchanging memes in funny ways. Mm -hmm. And it becomes, it's all about being ironic and I don't care about anything. Right. And um, you know, like this nihilistic art kind of space. And then it gets.
0: But then it tips into this other world where it becomes a symbol for the alt-right movement. Mm -hmm. And when Trump enters, it takes on an additional meaning. And then it explodes outside of 4chan into the greater political landscape. And we travel with Matt as he tries to figure out like how to navigate this whole thing where this, you know, innocent character that he created suddenly is completely out of his control and stands for something that he never intended it to stand for. And what do you do about that? And, you know, and and kind of how he grapples with that as this you know, meme and this character continue to evolve over time. And so it's really, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a polemic about artistic iconography. It's a, it's a portrait of this young artist and what happened to him. And it's a case study in the power of imagery mm-hmm. and how that kind of fuels culture, yeah. you know, political culture and culture at large.
1: You know what? Also, a couple of things. When, when um, basically, what happened, how it how it ended up in the Trump campaign and and a, and a vehicle for alt right was people were exchanging memes, and then Instagrammers uh, were starting to raid 4chan to get the cool memes right. and be the first to put them on, and so then the uh, the 4chan like the the real kind of hardcore I hate everybody 4chaners, including myself saw that and were like, get these normies out of here. And so they started putting like swastikas on him or making Pepe like right. Hitler mustache. Origi-
0: originally just to be a Repel chilling effect on the normies from stealing their their hero and spreading it, you know, in the greater, inter- you know, greater internet space.
1: But then someone put Trump's hair on Pepe and that kind of changes everything. And we don't get too into that, but like mm. that does change everything. And to me, what that did what i a couple things i thought of watching this one is it's sad man it's sad that we that we live in this winner versus loser society um where people feel that disenfranchised from the world and don't have an outlet that's constructive and and it ends up being destructive you know 4chan ends up being linked to the isla vista um mass shooter mm-hmm. um You know, there's there's a you know, the the rise of the alt-right and coming out of the woodwork A lot of that to me is based in disillusion and darkness like within oneself and within society feeling disenfranchised I'm not making excuses for bad behavior. I'm not trying to make excuses for a shooter But my point is is that we have lots of people living in school you'll watch this and you'll see people living in their basement living in filth um, mm-hmm. and and feeling like they're completely disengaged because of the way they've been treated or because of the their, the course of their life. And um, and sort of th- taking pride in that. And taking pride in that, but at the same time it speaks to the conditions that we've created in our society. Right. Cause we don't have like a mental health network in a way, we don't have like a, commu- a real community a lot of times mm-hmm. where there's a place to catch people who are falling and, and help them feel empowered. And so what ends up happening in this, uh, in this, in real life, I say in this movie, what ends up, (laughs) what really happened was all of a sudden these basement hacks got anointed with purpose and the purpose became fueling this whole Trump theme. Mm -hmm. And so it's very interesting to me. With the goal
0: really of just fomenting chaos. Just
1: fomenting chaos and pissing off liberals and pissing off normies. Mm -hmm. And which is really, we've been triggered by this, this entire time And, and some bad people got involved and made it you know, obviously made it very potent in the way they've advertised here and there. And one of them is interviewed in this. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just so interesting, like the power of purpose. You know, and I know that's a weird place to go with it, but like all of a sudden these people that had no purpose, the purpose was 4chan now have purpose and all that kind of- Became very energized around that yeah, and unified. Yeah, yeah, and that purpose is, is powerful. So that to me, that just speaks to the power of purpose in a way. Mm-hmm. And that's what conspiracy theories give people. Gives people purpose. Mm-hmm. That's what. That's what. Like, um, you know. That's what Q gives people. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are lonely and just dis- feeling disillusioned. And,
0: there's a there's a yeah. gamifying aspect to it too. Yeah. Like yeah. when you have all of these people living in filth in basements as, port- and I'm not making that up. Like that's portrayed in the movie. Yeah. Um, and suddenly they can organize around this this. Character, yeah, and create real world ramifications for that and do it together and be in constant communication with each other. It does become like a video game,
1: it does, right? And then, and then the conspiracies and these, then it leaks into the mainstream. And now it's not just people in basements, now it's like your uncle that you're gonna have to see at Thanksgiving, <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. what I mean, or your aunt, right? You know, like literally, right? And so, like, I think you you sent me this, um, Yuval Noah Harari, yeah, Yuval,
0: Yuval Noah Harari. Yeah who's also been on the podcast, he wrote an opinion piece for the New York Times when the world seems like one big conspiracy. And he basically, you know, deconstructs that very thing.
1: Yeah, it's just the fact that what what I think here's a quote, the skeleton key of all global cabal theories, it unlocks the world's mystery and offers people entree into an exclusive circle, the group of people who understand. It makes me smarter and wiser than the average person, and even elevate, elevates me above the intellectual elite and the ruling class—professors, journalists, politicians.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I see mean, what in the they case overlook. of yeah. and in the case of Pepe the Frog specifically, you had this massive four chan community, yeah. and they really were the only ones who understood what Pepe the Frog meant, <laughs> right? And that was the appeal, because when these memes would leak into broader culture and get misinterpreted they were the ones who were in the know yeah. and could kind of regale in the irony of all of that.
1: Yeah, so it's a movie about art, it's about purpose, it's about um it's a it's a it's a critique, social critique of our society. It's it's um there's a lawsuit with Alex Jones. It's really right good.
0: <laughs> right right. So yeah, I mean Matt you know begins from a place of not wanting to rock the boat. Like when Pepe starts becoming another thing, he could have put his foot down and- Right. Filed a a intellectual property claim. He could have come out for fortune. And he was like, I'm an artist, I don't wanna do that. And then it got super out of control. Out of control. The Anti-Defamation League. Not only puts Pepe the Frog on its on its hate symbol list, they yeah. put his name. It's, it's the fact that his name his is name there is linked too. to it, yeah. And he wants his name off of that, and that becomes a battle that he you know gets involved in pursuing, and ultimately you know, he's up, not good at pursuing. Ends yeah. up, yeah. I mean, he's not like he's not suited for that kind no, of. No, that's not thing, what he's the right? here for. No, but he does suck it up enough to go after Alex Jones, mm-hmm. which is a crazy story in its own right. He does, and so how the, that plays. The one out.
1: person that he. Well, he ends up getting a law, a law firm involved to try to at least mm-hmm. get Alex Jones from being able to sell a poster of right. Pepe the Frog on it.
0: I mean, it's 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 a really amazing documentary and, and the director is you know quite a cartoon artist himself. Oh, and I, great. I believe he did all the animation sequences yeah. in it, which are very well done. So Please check that out. It's on, yeah. I think it's on Netflix. Is it on Netflix or was it's it on Amazon? I, I, no, I, I, I rented remember. it
1: on, I, on iTunes. Oh, you did? It was on Amazon, it's not, on it's Amazon. not yet on Netflix.
0: I think that's why maybe, it's having a discoverability issue. Yeah, if it was on Netflix, everybody would would be watching. This it's, movie. It's, it's I think it's I got good, it on man. Amazon, but like, like,
1: check it out. I put it in like in the you know in a place like capturing the Freedmans or R. Crumb, like some really mm, seminal right. like indie period documentaries that were like. Yeah, R. Like, Crumb is a great example. Yeah, I think. Yeah. yeah.
0: Um, the other aspect of it that I think is interesting and worth a few minutes discussing is the extent to which what happened on 4chan was fueled by the anonymity aspect of that community, right? Um, The fact that everybody is anonymous there, they can say all these things, and they're detached from the real world ramifications of that or having to take personal responsibility for what spills out into the real world, like what happened in Isla Vista, because they're shrouded in anonymity. And I think right now we're grappling with how to police or regulate the social media space when it comes to verification. Um, There is a strong argument that for example, everybody on Twitter should be verified or on Facebook, like you need to be able to establish that you are actually the person that you claim to be. The counter argument to this, which I talked about with Jack Dorsey when he was on the podcast, is that anonymity is important for dissident voices that feel threatened by speaking out publicly, that they require some level of anonymity in order to be whistleblowers and that that has to get valued against the the verification argument. But Mm. I think when you tabulate all of this, like what is the larger threat? Is it making sure that we're protecting that dissident voice, which I think is incredibly important, or is it more important to enact measures that prevent bot farms from creating, you know, millions of fake accounts out there that are spreading disinformation. I don't I don't propose to have the solution to this, right. but you know, these are the conversations that we need to have in order to figure out like how to move forward here. Yeah,
1: because anonymity create gives you um, the hubris to be able to say whatever you want and then those the language creates the environment to, that ends up fomenting actual action.
0: Right. And and, and, and an anonymity allows you to be whoever you want to be right. and convince people that you're somebody that you're not.
1: It's a very good question. You know, I, I remember when we talked about it earlier today, I, I was thinking even journalism has, uh, I think an anonymity problem. We For a long time it was, I mean, I think for most of the 20th century anonymous sources were kind of not appreciated in, in big papers. And I think if I remember correctly with the Watergate reporting with uh, Woodward and Bernstein, um, it's been a long time since I uh, saw the film or read the book, but uh,
0: all the, president's, All the men. president's Men. I just watched it like a month ago. Yeah,
1: and but I, I seem to remember like the fact that Deep Throat was an anonymous source was pissing uh, Benjamin Bradley off mm-hmm. and like he didn't wanna run the story on, a, on an anonymous source.
0: Well, the whole movie is basically yeah. Woodward and Bernstein trying to browbeat Bradley into letting them right. publish their story and right. him constantly saying, you don't have enough. Get yet. better source, yeah.
1: yeah. And so now though, you can read almost any any story about like, it could be sports, it could be movies, it could be- it could be a political story and anonymous sources are so prevalent and i think i think that's problematic too to stories and i think that that like that leads to distrust of even these news sources because if 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 it's just an anonymous source anyone could make it up because look at 4chan people are making stuff up mm. so it's like it's so, it's it's bled into this mass of where you can't just dis- you can't discern it. So then when you actually have a name on it, do we really believe that too? Right. So it's, we're in this place where it's really hard. And there's a, an Atlantic journalist, um, Adam Schwerer, Schwer, something I he's in the movie. And he talks about the whole point of some of this is just to flood the zone with shit.
0: Oh, I remember and then, that then, Yeah, 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 yeah just flood the, about, yeah. Flood,
1: flood the zone with shit. So you can't tell what's real and what's uh-huh. not. Um, and that's kind of where we're at. So how do you solve that? I think actually verifying more people is a good way of doing it. Yeah, yeah. because this yeah.
0: problem is not gonna go away. Yeah. It's only going to grow and become exacerbated. Yeah. And a good reason to you know believe in that position is the advent of deep fake technology, yeah. which leads us into the next article that I wanted to talk about, yep. which is this beautiful New York times piece called, do these AI created fake people look real to you? And What's amazing about this piece is the kind of dynamic visual aesthetic or quality that the New York Times created where you scroll through yeah. this article and you see the the, the faces like changing races yeah, and, yeah. you know, their features Gender, are changing yeah. and it's astounding. Like these people look exactly like real people and they're, they're just made, all computer generated. They're all made up. And then it gets into how you can tell like these tiny little details, but that's going to get worked out. Yeah, like it's not going to be possible for us to determine who's a real person and who isn't. No, and what happens when that tips into video and audio? They can all they can almost do it perfectly now with audio. Right, then it becomes impossible to decipher what's real and what's not. And I think that that. Tips me in the favor of verification. Like you know, when you when you look at these photographs, and these aren't even real people, but they look exactly like real people. We're entering into this crazy, uncanny valley where, you know, fact and fiction are are impossible to determine. And then the what's going to happen between. is
1: it's going to become even more fractured. Where some people are like, I'm only going to be on X platform because they verify everybody. Well, mm-hmm. other people will be happy to be on the unverified platform,
0: right? Well, we're seeing that now with Twitter and Parler. Parler is the, yes. <laughs> right? Yes. It's crazy. But, I mean, but there's also other
1: problems. Like we were talking about this, like one of the podcasts, like the, it's a top rated Apple podcast that tries to, like their, the description on, on Apple is that we are a, uh, we, we don't align with any party, like independent thinkers only, you know, thinking political mm-hmm. podcasts. It's a, it's a, it's a far right podcast. Mm-hmm. Like there's gotta be better moderation across all, that's a social dilemma thing and verification across all these platforms because it's irresponsible otherwise. Cause those, those types of podcasts, I'm not gonna say who it is, but those types of podcasts and those types of entry points, like um, uh Mille-New, like the- uh, Mille-Nille, yeah, Mille-Nille those Melnie like from,
0: from Rabbit Hole. From Rabbit Hole. Yeah.
1: Those are the entry points to this like crazy anti-information Space, right? right. And um, it's dangerous. So,
0: well, agreeing on the problem is one thing, yeah. but finding a valid solution is another thing because who gets to be, you know, how do you police that? It's Who's a good in question. charge? And once you start making value judgments, then you're in a world of shit because, right. you know, you can't, you just, it's impossible.
1: And then, then you know, they keep saying in this movie, in um, Feels Good Man, the genie's already out of the bottle. It might already be, yeah. you know, it might.
0: Yeah, yeah, we've unleashed the Kraken.
1: <laughs> stop saying that. <laughs> you don't know what a Kraken is, stop yep. saying that.
0: <laughs> All right, uh, moving on. Um, right. Win of the week, you got a win of the week, right? I do, yeah. I um, I don't
1: really have one. I filed a, a report yesterday, it should be out soon. I don't know exactly know when. It'll be out either this week or next week, hopefully. Um, for the New York Times Sports, it is Alenka Artnik, a Slovenian freediver. Dove to 114 meters, breaking a world record in a free dive in Egypt in the mm. Red Sea. Um, that happened on November 7th. Uh, I was late to this story, but it's the first time I've covered free diving actually in quite a while. Right, um, but it was fun to be able to get back in there and tell Alenka's story. And she was third. She's 39 now. She was 30 when she found free diving. Um, just at a pool in Slovenia in the capital. Um, she was partying a lot, drinking a lot, kind of self-sabotaging, not, didn't have purpose. And just by crashing this workout in a pool where people were just like, literally just doing dynamic apnea, which is go, doing laps in a pool, mm-hmm. um, not, not in beautiful blue water, not in Egypt's Red Sea, just doing that, she joined them and was immediately hooked. And like the next day went out and bought her first pair of plastic bifins. The long fins, and uh, and you know, she, she over the next few years, she did it a few times, and 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 did depth, got to twenty eight meters in her first class, and then got to forty nine meters wow. by two thousand fifteen, and then when her father died, her mom, mother had died in two thousand nine, um, she uh, sold the family house with her sister and moved to Egypt to train full time and to see what you can do. You know, it just, it just speaks to her, her incredible athleticism, focus, re, deep relaxation in, in the water. 114 meters. I mean, that's <sighs> you know, that is wow. you know, 370 or something like 350 that's feet. That's crazy. Yeah, you know, that's like a, a you're swimming the length of a 70 story building by the time you get back up to the top. It's yeah. a three minute, 41 second dive. Um, and and you know, I get into the detail of it and how women's free diving is really blossomed in the last couple of years with uh, Alenka and Alessia Ciccini, who's an Italian with the first to break the great Natalia Molchanova's record. Um, Hanukkah Rosa, who's from Japan. These three women have really um, electrified the sport. And it's really exciting to, to be able to write about another great water woman, uh, powerful Uh, person and a very exciting record.
0: Her backstory sounds similar to Nick Mavoli.
1: It does sound similar, it is similar. The difference is Nick was always a stud athlete. Like he was a great athlete growing up. Mm. Alenka, and I I didn't have enough words to get fully into this, but Alenka really never had that. She was never a great BMX cyclist. She was never a sporty person. Um, She kind of was like drifting. And there was part of her inside, she said that she knew she could do something great but she just didn't know what mm. you know she just didn't have and she didn't wasn't really attracted to the you know get married have a house type of thing have babies that wasn't where she was at at that point in her 20s. she didn't want that um but she didn't know where to put herself so she was you know cool. spending a lot of time out out at night and then when she found this it really clicked and that's what people are saying like that she moves like as if she's dissolved in the water like her her power feels effortless and that's the kind of relaxation you need to be able to go super deep and come up and not burn all your oxygen mm-hmm. yeah
0: it's such a weird specific skill set yeah that is so much about holding back yeah, when you think of athleticism, you think of exertion right. and this is the opposite of that.
1: Well, right, I mean, you know, we, I talk about it in the story is like one of the biggest components of a deep dive is the free fall. And so she kicks, you know, really if, if, if you go out and you, you know, you're on a dive line and you're doing one of these courses, uh, what they teach you is you kick for the first 10 meters hard and then you kick you know, 33 feet, then you kick the next 33 feet a little softer because you're already becoming somewhat negatively buoyant. But the first 30 feet, you're positively buoyant. So if you stop kicking, you'll get pushed back up to the surface, Mm -hmm. especially if you're in a wetsuit. And then beyond 20 meters, you can really just stop kicking and you'll sink. But when you're going to 100 plus meters, you can't do that at, at 20 meters, it'll just take too long. Right. So she kicks, all the way down to 70 meters. From 40 to 70, it's every little while. It's not much, but she and she has a monofin, so she's kind of doing this dolphin kick. And at 70, she just goes super relaxed, doesn't move, tries not to think at all, and then just lets herself mm. get carried down uh, like a tractor beam. Wow! Yeah.
0: yeah. And for people that are that are listening who are unfamiliar with freediving, we're yeah. talking about swimming straight down. You're not you're not swimming line. laterally. You're swimming yeah. straight down along a cord like yeah. a line that yeah. marks your distance. That's right. It's unbelievable. What was the world record prior?
1: 113, she shared it with Alessia. Um, So they shared a record. So what happened was Natalia- Is that a
0: world record across the board or for women?
1: For women. Okay. So the record is is held by Alexei Molchanov for men at one hundred and thirty meters, okay, and Alexei was the son of Natalia Molchinova, who is the best women's free diver ever. She had forty one world records, world champion over twenty times. She disappeared on a dive in two thousand and fifteen. shows you how you know there there is a thin margin for error here. And uh, so she died in 2015, and then when she died, it was like this void in the sport. No one thought no one had ever broken 100 mm-hmm. meters besides Natalia, mm-hmm. and um, and this is all in one breath, by the way. If you're curious, if this is really interesting to you, this is all in there, um, at least up to Natalia's dominance. Then um, Natalia disappears, and no one think like all of a sudden the men's draw is really exciting. Alexi versus Will Truebridge. Who's going to be the best? But on the women's side, there's like no one to step in. And then uh, Alessia, who's only 29 now or 27 now, Uh um, comes into Vertical Blue in 2017, 17, no, 2018. And um, she and Hanako take turns breaking Natalia's record. And then all of a sudden, that was 2017 and 2018, Alenka shows up out of nowhere and ties Alessi's record at 105, mm. and so now the three of them just progressively have gotten all the way to 114. I mean, that's like a, wow. a level that even Natalia never approached, and you know who knows if she ever would have got there. That shows you the level that these women are at. It's really impressive. That's incredible. Yeah.
0: Um. Did I tell you about my experience trying to learn free diving in Malta? <laughs> no, I didn't. We didn't talk about this. <laughs> I don't think so. So, I was in Malta it was a year and a half ago or something like that. You know, I don't think we talked about this. Um, and there's a um, well known former world champion free diver that lives out there. Okay. Whose name escapes me right now. And I'm so embarrassed that I can't remember his name at the moment. Okay. Um, but uh, he was friends of one of the friends that we have on the island, um, our friend Kurt Arrigo. And Kurt's like, hey, you should go meet this guy. So we go out to Gozo, the other island, like next to Malta, where he's got this whole setup out there and he trains like up and coming competitive free divers. Really? And I spent the better part of a whole day working with this guy doing all kinds of breath techniques and he was teaching me like how to do, you know, the the inhale and the exhale. Like most of it was spent at his house, like learning that aspect of it. And then we went out to... This you know kind of deep hole where he takes people out and got you know the whole setup on and the fins and the whole thing, right? How'd you do? And I did terrible. <laughs> I was terrible at could it. Could you not equalize? Was that the problem? I'm I'm yeah I can't equalize. Like literally, I'm only down like 15 meters or whatever, and just feels like my head's gonna explode. So and that, I that's it. Yeah. I could not figure out how, how to equalize, and I was like, I can't. I, I couldn't crack that nut.
1: Yeah. And so that the happens. breath
0: holding is fine.
1: Like I'm I'm pretty yeah. good with that. He didn't have you go head up and try to equalize that way. Yeah,
0: he did. He was t- giving me all that stuff, yeah. but I couldn't figure it out. Because head down equalization, you
1: can't use the same techniques you would like scuba diving. It's a slightly different technique. Yeah. Um, it's um, it's called it's Frenzel instead of Valaslava, I think, is the original kind. And so it's it's just it's basically you're not using your diaphragm. Mm. You're using just your sinuses. You know, your 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 soft palate. Um, But so a lot of, some people just can't equalize beyond 10 meters head down. It's just just normal. My first class, I had the same problem.
0: It was, uh, I mean, I literally felt like scanners in your head, (laughs) like my head was gonna crack wide open.
1: But don't feel bad. It took me like 20 professional free divers to finally be able to get to a hundred (laughs) feet. That's good though, 100 feet, man. Yeah, but you could do it. It's just a matter of cracking that one equalization thing. And that just is a muscle you build up. I I believe everyone can equalize to that level. Mm. It's just a matter of of doing it.
0: All right, let's do some listener questions. Uh, Before we launch into the first question, I do wanna mention that uh, a question that we fielded in our last roll on had to do with, eating disorders among males. And we had a discussion about that. That prompted some interesting emails and feedback that I was on the receiving end of. Lots of people saying that they were happy that we were talking about this and maybe talk to this person or that person or get somebody on the podcast who has experience with this because it is kind of an important emerging conversation to have. And then boom, just the other day, uh, there's a new article on, on, runner's world in which Jesse Thomas shares his experience as a young college track and field athlete uh, with, with bulimia. Mm-hmm. And I know Jesse's been on the podcast, his wife has as well, who and his wife, Lauren Fleshman talked about eating disorders among young athletes. Uh, but this is the first time that Jesse has spoken publicly about this battle that he's had over the years and i think that that just speaks to the fact that this is you know an important subject and you know i think what's weird is that you know as stigmatized as this is amongst women and particularly women athletes it's oddly almost more stigmatized for men hmm. which is strange hmm. because men don't there's a weird like vulnerability to it i guess that the idea that a man would have a eating thing yeah um, and I think it's really powerful and courageous that Jesse stepped up and you know shared his experience with all of this.
1: I agree. And there's something, must be something to the fact that the pressure on men isn't the same as the pressure on women societally, but obviously when in sport it is. Right. You know, yeah. Training to make weight, training to get faster, training to like look better, whatever it is. Mm.
0: So we'll link that article up in the show notes as well. It's called Reds, uh, Relative Energy Deficiency in Sport, uh, Reds for Runners. And it opens with Jesse's story. All right, let's do a question.
1: All right, let's go. We, we, this is the international edition. So uh,
3: we're starting in okay. London. Starting in London. Hi, Rich and Adam. This is Adrian Grove from London, England. And firstly, thank you for your amazing podcasts. I was introduced to them through the wonderful Chris Evans and they really are a of sunshine during these challenging times. My question to you both is about real conversation and communication. As an actor for 25 years, I've noticed that during breaks in rehearsal or on set, whereas everyone would sit around, drink coffee, eat and talk, now there's silence as people sit by themselves checking the latest social media feed or how many likes they have. And on social events too, conversation is stilted as the, the ping of notifications draws people away and you're left wondering why i here. So my question to you both is, how do I stop getting frustrated with my friends and colleagues? Um, how do I stop feeling like an out-of-touch dinosaur at 52? And how do we as a society promote real conversations? Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Uh, once again, um, absolutely, you can play this on air. And um, I look forward to the next roll-on and the next podcast.
0: That's a great question, Uh, thank you for that. Yeah, I think the best way to open up my response to that is to hearken it back to that Rumi quote, Hmm. right? Yesterday I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today I'm wise, so I am changing myself. Yeah. Um, We can can, uh, be upset that the world is the way that it is, but it is the way that it is. And uh, frustration, over that will only result in your own personal suffering over the whole thing. Um, You're not gonna get to change other people's behaviors. All you can do is change your own. So to the extent that you're dismayed by the fact that everybody's face planted in their phones, the only thing that you can do is be the instigator of that change and how it relates to your own personal relationships, right? So be... Be the one who goes up to your friend and says, hey, let's go for a walk, or why don't we go on a hike, or let's go on a bike ride, or let me meet you for a socially distanced coffee or whatever it is, like just to make those adjustments yourself and take responsibility so that your own life is you know infused with the personal interactions that you're seeking and perhaps missing right now, hmm. um, but to let go of how other people are behaving and being upset about that, right? Yeah. Because that will just foment your frustration. The second thing um, that I would say is that you wanna be like Eric Clapton and not like the guy who's still hanging on to the, the uh, heavy metal hairband that he was in in the 80s. <laughs> Let me explain. What I mean by that is to the extent that you're 52 and feeling like a dinosaur, embrace the fact that you're 52, right? Yeah. When we see Eric Clapton show up later in his career, He's well appointed, wearing an Armani suit, looking mm. very nice. Still rocking it out, but comfortable with the fact that he's growing older, yeah. and not trying to hang on to some, you know, twenty-something version of who you are with a receding hairline, but still, you know, trying to look the part. Right, right. There's something more dignified about embracing the truth of where you're at, rather than. Trying to pretend like you're, you know, going to be a TikTok star.
1: Yeah, you know what I mean. Just you're saying, bring a newspaper to the set, and when everyone's on the <laughs>
0: phone, like ripple it, <laughs> yeah. fold it up.
1: <laughs> yeah, that that actually would be cool. Right, that would be kind of funny. A little protest with the riffling of the paper.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think the point that I'm making is like you don't don't put the pressure on yourself that you have to keep pace of with course. every new trend or yeah. iteration of of technology that's happening. You wanna be current so that you can maintain your relationships yeah. and have some sense of what's going on. Like you don't wanna be completely checked out. Yeah. But at 52, you don't have to be on top of all that stuff, right?
1: No, And but you're also not a dinosaur just because you're no. not addicted to your phone. Take,
0: as a 54 year old, I take personal offense at that.
1: <laughs> um, but I mean, I think, I, I think that like, it's cool to have standards that you think people should Interact in a in a more healthy kind of less tech connected way. I think that's okay. Sure, um, you know, and and to to feel that way and to model that behavior is cool. Like in a way, it's like it's cooler to model the behavior. Right. You don't actually have to um, engage and try to change anybody, but to model it, especially on a set or something like that, I think that could actually work very well for mm-hmm.
0: you. Yeah, yeah, be the be the one who sets the tone for everybody else. And to your point about eroding attention spans, like I, I don't know that that's really true. We like to throw that around. Everyone, nobody has an, any attention span for anything anymore. But you know, this podcast is a counterpoint to mm. that to that idea. And perhaps the eroded attention span is more myth propagated by media outlets than truth itself.
1: I do think people look at their phones to fill space though. Like, you know what I mean? Like when nothing else is yeah. going on for like comfort, like a binky, like, like you know. But
0: that doesn't mean that they're not capable of having a long conversation no. with somebody in an interesting way.
1: Right, so just cause someone's looking at, your, at their phone doesn't mean you can't say, excuse me and start a
0: conversation. Right, they're waiting for you to model that behavior. They're waiting for you, Adrian. And all of your wise 52 years, Eric Clapton style. Yeah.
1: Thanks for that question, man. All right. I just IMDb'd you by the way.
0: Oh, you did? I did. Is he in, is yeah, he in he's a bunch in some of movies? Stuff. He's in some stuff. Oh, cool. All
1: right. Let's go to Australia. Hi,
2: Adam and Rich. This is Daniel Cooling from the Mornington Peninsula, which is a little over an hour outside of Melbourne, Australia. Um, first of all, shout out to the evil YouTube algorithm, because without it, I uh, never would have discovered your work, Rich, and um, it's been pretty life-changing and transformative for me. Um, Anyway, my uh, question is, my wife and I have been long-time vegetarians, and we're currently slowly transitioning to a fully plant-based diet. And We have two young children, a uh, a daughter who's a little under three years old and a son who's about four months old, and we're grappling with how and whether to raise them as fully plant-based, and uh, particularly um, struggling with the societal pressures and peer pressure that they're likely to, to sort of face growing up, based on the decision that you know we're sort of forcing it on them. And uh, I know that I think your whole family, which is vegan, and um, yeah, just offer some advice around your thoughts around that, how you deal with it. Um, what's the best path you think for us moving forward? But uh, yeah, anyway, keep up the great work from the other side of the world, guys. Peace out.
0: Uh, thank you for your question, Daniel. I mean, I think the, the, the best course of action for you is what feels right for you. You know, it's not for me to tell you how you should parent your children. I think you need to follow your own uh, intuition and instincts about that. Um, but I think that, first of all, I'll say you can certainly raise children to be healthy on a plant-based diet. And the idea that you can't has been thoroughly debunked. Uh, So you should feel confident that if that feels right to you, that you are well supported in that regard. And that doesn't mean that society has necessarily caught up with that idea. And I understand and appreciate the social pressures that get packed into that and perhaps the judgment that you might have to weather, Um, but... I would advise you against future tripping, like this idea, well, if I do this, then in the future at some point, they will be judged by their classmates or their peers. Like that's not the reality that you're living in right now. What you're doing right now is just trying to feed them the healthiest food so that they can be healthy. Um, The other notion that I'd like to challenge you on is this idea that you're, you're forcing it on them. I mean, you're feeding your children food, are you forcing an ideology on them? Are, is that any different from you're forcing them to live in the house that they live in, or to you know have any other ideas that you feel strongly about? Now, that's part of what parenting is. Mm. You know, I don't think the word forcing is the right word. It's more like this is the environment in which we've decided to raise our children. Mm-hmm.
1: Did you uh, growing have raising the kids? Did you have moments where? Uh, you know, they strayed or they were out of the house and had something or like that. that All like, the time. Yeah, All and, the time. and there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah, right?
0: I mean, our our approach with our kids is we raise them plant-based, but you know, when they became old enough where they could make decisions for themselves, we never policed those decisions. Like our, our idea was, we're gonna have super healthy food in the house. We're gonna cook really delicious meals for the kids. And when they go over to their friend's house, we're not, we. I'm not gonna tell them you can't eat this or that. Mm-hmm. We just try to educate them as best as we possibly can about what's in their best interest. And then the choices they make are up to them. Yeah. And if they go to a friend's house and eat cake or pizza or whatever um, and come back, and, they, and we say, what did you eat? And they tell us, I'm not gonna judge them either and make them feel bad about that. No. But we'll have a conversation like, oh, how'd you feel after you ate that? Like, do you feel you know, oh, a little bit of a stomach ache or, oh, I liked it or whatever? Um, I think the the kind of forcing aspect of this comes into play when you make them feel bad about themselves because right. they've made a certain choice as a young person, right? Um, so we don't do that um, and... I think that has worked out pretty well for us, but each one of our kids has had their own journey with all of this and they've got to make their own decisions for themselves. So your job as a parent is to provide the guideposts to that and educate them to the best of your ability, but also not get caught up in the small things. It's not about whether they ate you know, some candy or whatever it was at their friend's house. It's about what their habits look like 10, 15, 20 years down the line. Like, Mm. do they have a healthy relationship with food? Do they understand the foods that nourish them versus the foods that lead them towards chronic illness? Those are the important factors. And I feel like that's what your responsibility is as a parent.
1: So no future tripping, no guilt tripping, and, um, but take a broad view and a long-term view. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, like I think that. there's a little fear in you know in, that I'm inferring in this question from may, maybe how they're you know, they're sort of friends and you well, know, you community know it's, might it's, it's outside perceiving Melbourne.
1: This. So it's like an hour outside of city. so maybe mm-hmm. in, and Australia, it's not as I mean, there's plenty of plant-based food in Australia, obviously, but but it's not necessarily here in like Southern California to the same mm-hmm. ex- level of acceptance. so maybe some of that's there. never mm-hmm. know. But like who's the great who's the runner in Louisiana? Joshua Johnny he's like all, you know, he lives in, in the country in Louisiana or yeah. whatever. And he's like, you know, any grocery store in the world, you can do it. So yeah. he knows. Well, I
0: think right. also when you, you know, as a new parent, yeah. when you have children that are months old or, you know, just a couple of years old, like it's a very, fragile situation yeah. and you're so tuned into like wanting to make the right decision for them and you feel that responsibility, right? Yeah. And you you the last thing you want to do is feed them food that's going to harm them or deprive them of food that's going to harm them. Right. So I I'm empathetic to yeah. you know what Daniel is, you know, considering right now is yeah. like, oh, if I don't feed them animals, everyone's telling me I should these other people are saying it's healthy, but do I really know? Like, do I, I they, you don't wanna make a mistake, right? No. So I get that. Yeah, I can promise you that you can raise children healthy on a plant-based diet. There's lots of resources out there um, that I'm, if you email me directly, I'm happy to share with you. But I think you should feel confident in that regard. But if you're questioning that, I think that's normal as well. And yeah. you've really gotta just trust your gut. Literally. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: Yeah, thanks, Daniel. All right, let's go to Germany.
4: Hello, Rich. Hello, Adam. This is Carlos Franco. I am a 42 old Colombian, but I'm living in Germany for almost 16 years now. Rich, I want to thank you. You have been such an inspiration ever since I read Finding Ultra in 2017. I've been kind of uh, stalking you since uh, then. Uh, so thank you very much for putting amazing content out there. My question is uh, for you guys, Rich and Adam, how do you guys keep being excellent fathers and husbands, spend quality time with your family, and still thrive on your passion and career? Sometimes I feel that I can't balance uh, both things, uh, which are crucial for me as a father of three. So, uh, guys, appreciate for any thoughts on that. Um, Take care. Bye.
0: It's a pretty common dilemma. Yeah. I think, Carlos. Uh, first of all, thank you for your question. Um, this is something that that a lot of people can relate to. And yes. I, I You know, I have a lot of strong opinions about this idea of balance and this rubric that we're supposed to adhere to, where on a daily basis everything is is perfectly ordered, where we're apportioning our attention and our energy in equal parts to everything that is important to us. Right. And I think when we measure ourselves against that. Standard, we're always going to feel that we're falling short and we're not going to be able to live up to that expectation. And as somebody who is prone to the extremes and used to browbeat myself for being unable to come anywhere near that type of approximation, I used to feel bad about it. I had like shame and guilt around that and embarrassment. Like, why can't I just be normal? And I at some point reached a breaking point with all of this and just let it all go and realized that I need to be who I am. Hmm. And that is somebody who gravitates towards um, periods of extreme focus on singular pursuits, whether that's training for a race or competing in a race or writing a book or you know building this podcast, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. I operate best when I can kind of extract myself out of a daily grind and drop my, you know, plop myself into some other world that can literally, you know, monopolize my focus for a set period of time. And I think by giving myself permission to do that, ultimately in the long run, it makes me a better father, a better partner, a better professional, a better human being because I'm just... Designed for that, right? And if I deprive myself of those types of experiences, then I feel like I'm somebody who's got one foot in the door and one foot out the door Mm -hmm. all the time. And Mm -hmm. I'm never fully present with what I'm doing. This is something that came up with uh, Laird Hamilton when I had him on the podcast the other day. And that episode's going up soon. But, you know, he needs to go on his thing, you know, go to these places and surf these waves. And, and by being in a partnership where Gabby, you know, not only permits him to do that but encourages that, like that's their deal, he's able to be the father that he that he's capable of being, right? Like it makes him a better father and I I believe that and I think that that's important. So when I think about balance, I don't think about it in the micro, I think about it in the macro, mm. right? This pendulum that swings between you know extremes that vary wherein a daily kind of drop in it'll look like things are very much out of balance but in the macro you realize that all of these things ultimately apportion out the way that they're that they're meant to. So I don't know the specifics of Carlos's life but you know it sounds like this might be somewhat relatable to him, and it's been a great comfort to me to just accept myself for who I am and to make sure that you know my needs are met in the way that you know I'm designed. yeah, and when I do that, you know, luckily, I'm in a partnership with Julie where she understands that, and that's I do the same for her, like we you know we have you know independence within our marriage and our relationship where we give each other wide berth to have those explorations, and then we can come together and be better parents as a result and be you know more present with the other aspects of our life that are of course of critical importance
1: but when you're in town and you're around does that translate into like you know like the Barack Obama book is out now and he's been talking about how like the one thing was having dinner every night at 6:30 i mean do you have like kind of those stop gaps in place to make sure that you're in that you have time to engage because you know it could be
0: yeah i mean you have to create certain Boundaries yeah. back to healthy boundaries, right? Boundaries around how you spend your time so that you're mindful of making sure that you don't let, you know, unnecessary trivialities trickle into what should be, you know, carved out as as you know, quality time with your kids, for example, or yeah. eating dinner. Like we're all quarantined at home. We eat dinner together. We're like sick of each other. We're right, around right. Each other. That's different. So, you know, it's a little bit different yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. But I'm feeling like I need to I need to like go, not because I don't love my family and my kids, but like I'm feeling that itch. Like I need to I need to engage in an adventure just to be me. Yeah, you right, know what of I course. mean? Yeah. And Julie gets that, she's like, plan something, you know, figure it out. Whatever. You know, she's not like, You can't leave, you know, you gotta stay here and be here. It's not about that. Right. I'm in a little different
1: place in my family right now. I'm still trying to figure that (laughs) out. I don't think I'm I'm
0: allowed to leave just yet. (laughs) Yeah, no, and you shouldn't. (laughs) No, So this is where you're all in (laughs) on like raising, you know, an infant, right? And you gotta be 110% present for that, which means other aspects of your life that would or should require some attention and focus aren't getting the oxygen that perhaps they deserve right now. And it's about making peace with that. like right now, this is I'm in this situation with the yep. baby. I'm not going to be able to do all the work things that ordinarily I would be doing. So by definition, this is out of balance, but I think it's in perfect balance because that pendulum will swing back yes. when it's when appropriate. It's time. And it's about releasing whatever anxiety or self judgment that you have around.
1: Yeah. That. And to be quite honest, you know, like we're already at I'm already at back at work and I'm able to do the work that I need. You know, the only thing different is I wouldn't go out in the field and do like a big mega reporting trip right now. But right. like that's not even happening. Right. So it's kind of I'm I'm Nobody's doing that no. right now. Well, some people are. <laughs> Maybe, some yeah, people sure. are. Yeah, but uh, but you know, I'm here with but you. That Rich. will
0: come. I'm here with you. You get to do this instead, right? <laughs> yeah. Sorry about that. No, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap it up. I think we're done for today. We're done, man. Yeah. We keep thinking that this is going to come in at like an hour. When you sent me your the notes, persistence I did not of that delusion. This. Well, we cut the outline in half. We cut out a lot of <laughs> I stuff. Know, we're going a lot. lot. That was a lot. Yeah. All right. Well, I feel good. Feels good, man. <laughs> Feels good, man. Feels good, man. Yeah. All right. Uh, you I'm gonna can go pee me. with my pants down. <laughs> All right. You could follow, now maybe you don't want to follow Adam on social <laughs> oh, yeah. media. No, Adam on Skolnick, there. I'm at Rich Roll. Leave us a message, a voicemail, if you want your question answered or considered, 424-235-4626. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple, and Spotify. Check the show notes on the episode page at richroll.com for links to everything we talked about today. Uh, What else? That's it. Let's thank everybody who helped put on today's show. Jason Camiolo for audio engineering, production, show notes, and interstitial music. Blake Curtis for videoing today's show and editing it. Jessica Miranda for graphics. No portraits. We got no pictures from today. I know, and I like put put on a nice shirt and everything. That's all right. Uh, Georgia Whaley for copywriting, DK for advertiser relationships and theme music by Tyler Trapper and Hari. Appreciate you, man. Thank you for doing this with me. Feels good, man. Feels good, man. See you back here shortly. Peace. Peace. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all.